and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for the first in a new Deja Review series of podcasts where we take a film and look back an older film and with me for this month's film Robocop released in 1987 are my own Ed 209s, Francis Murphy. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Casually smoking a cigarette like he's in an 80s. 80s action film uh yep. steve mccall i hope my stop motion isn't as bad as ed 209 <laughs> but a very good afternoon to you all yes good afternoon scott armor mind if i zip this up <laughs> <laughs> please <And> do <laughs> or don't <laughs> and and lewis's uh, eyes uh, def, oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, and last but certainly not least gordon webster G'day, Mr. Barry. G'day to you all. Yep, that's right. We've chosen Robocop as the start of our new season of films, handily chosen by Scott. It's one of your favourite films. Uh, we're simply, we've already watched the film, uh, I'm assuming, and we are now just going to discuss it. And yeah, this is kind of, we're doing these podcasts every every month, really, alternating with the sort of standard reviews that we do of current films released in 2022, because we like to go back and see the older films, some of the classics or films that we haven't seen. This is a film for me that I have I've only seen once or twice years ago, so it was a lot a big refresh for me. Um, I've always liked it, and again, rewatching it. Uh, no spoilers on my my thoughts on this film, but I loved it. <laughs> um, yeah, so gentlemen, let's let's get into this. Scott, I know this was the film that you've chosen uh you you've always said you know this is one of your favorites possibly in your top 10 if you were to ever rank them um you want to give me give us kind of a a glimpse into the sort of be- the beginnings of this film and uh, the setup things like that yeah so the idea uh, would just be to talk through the the kind of high level sort of um plot points mm-hmm. uh and we can obviously kind of jump in and specific scenes and stuff like that i think for me this film um you'd said you've only seen it once or twice i I think i'm easily into the 40s right uh like i've seen it i can't even remember how old i was i would have probably easily have been too young uh to have seen this film um and i think it's it's an interesting one for me because when i watched it as a as a boy or or certainly younger I never got the I never got the sort of political sort of nods, the satire, the dark humour. For me, it was oh, you know, Robocop, fucking big gun, shooting the bad guys. Ed two o nine looks cool. It was all about the action. Mm-hmm. But I think as as I think as I sort of got older, kept watching it, kept coming back to it, and even now watching it most recent, it's like. It, it's it's now a it's now a different experience because now I, I get it I get the dark humor I get the 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 satire the political nods, um but and most often than not the the action still holds up um despite some you know you know at the time stop motion was was huge you <laughs> yeah. know and um poor Phil Tippett done as best he can at the time but he was. <laughs> He was made extinct by Jurassic Park, unfortunately. But, yeah. uh, but you know, it, it, for me, there, there's still some moments where it's like, hmm. But to, to me, the whole film still stands up. And I think for me, it's just, it, it, it was a film ahead of its time. It's a timeless classic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's my initial 
You kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, may I ask you a quick question? You mentioned Phil Tippett. Would that, now that rings a bell. I might be completely wrong. Was he involved in any of the Star Wars films yeah. with any of the puppets? Yeah, he was, he was the Star Wars guy. Um, he was, uh, he was, and the reason why I mentioned Jurassic Park is he was, <clears throat> he was brought in originally to do the, um, stop motion for Jurassic Park or work on Jurassic Park. But Spielberg seen the test screenings for the for the CGI, um, and basically just went, you know, sorry Phil, we're going to go with, uh, we're going to go with the CGI rather than the stop motion type thing. But no, Phil, Phil Tippett was Star Wars, yeah. He, he, I'm sure he worked on other things, but I think in terms of the the research I done on him, Star Wars, um, RoboCop was the was the was the biggest. I think he might have done some stuff on Predator, or maybe that was Rob Botton. Um, he was still definitely involved in Jurassic Park. Cause I think he was. I, yeah. A tweet about him went viral recently. I don't know if you guys saw this. I believe he's, got a, he's a, credited on Jurassic Park as Dinosaur Supervisor. Oh, is that, that him? That, that, someone that, screenshotted that, that yeah. and put it on Twitter and said, damn it, Phil, you had one job. People <laughs> died, Phil. People died. <laughs> he's got a... Um, I've been meaning to watch it. It's a film... I think it's called Mad Dog. I'm not sure if that's right, but it's basically he's been working on a stop motion film for the last thirty years, um, and he's he's directing it, and he's he's just managed to get it out now. Um, and I'm desperately trying to get a copy of it because I I uh, I'd love to see it. Yeah, just to see how it holds up now, type thing. But no, okay, God, God, you're right. Phil, what's that? Sorry. Mad God, I guess. Mad God. I, I, I recognise the name Phil Tippett. I was googling him last yeah. night, and I spotted this. It looks like he's been working on it for decades aye, and it, it's coming out now seemingly right aye. um it's getting good right ups but no gordon you're right he was and he he done the the sort of you know designs and stuff like that for star wars now that we're actually talking about uh the film and our experiences with the film actually i want to go around the table just to get the credentials of what's what is our experience with this film fran what's your your history with this film i am i saw the film when i was a kid and then I watched it similar to Scott probably about 40 or 50 times over the years. It's one of those things where, similar to Red Dwarf and, and Star Trek and other things that I would I would watch like when I came home from the pub some nights, I would I would like I would I would go out for a few beers, I'd get a Mr. Kebab burger or something, and then I'd go home and I'd think, what am I gonna stick on? I'd look at my DVDs or whatever, and Robocop might be one I would just stick on <laughs> yeah. to sit and eat my food. And I've watched it loads and loads of times and Interestingly enough, as I got older, I started to look into a bit more of the, as Scott had mentioned, the, the, the sort of the satire and the political side of it. <clears throat> and I started to draw connections between Robocop and other movies like Total Recall and Starship Troopers in terms of the... Well, they're all uh, the same director, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Uh, but you can see, particularly in Starship Troopers, the political satire. Yeah. Uh, in Total Recall, you can certainly see. Obviously, there's there's crossover with actors, but you've also got the crossover with the makeup, the sort of special effects in terms of some of the things that you see in Robocop. Robocop as a film, I enjoy it, and it's a comfort movie to watch in some ways. I know it seems crazy to say that with some of the brutality that takes place in it, but it's a film that it's got an A, B, and C plot. Uh, it happens in a very linear fashion. There are some flashbacks to things, of course, but you can sit down and watch it. And you've got that mixture of of humour, uh, satire, some serious stuff going on, uh, but also you can follow along with it 
after a few beers and be quite happy be entertained by it basically and it's yeah. got a very satisfying ending the, something that films have lost nowadays i think in some ways is the ability to wrap things up very neatly mm-hmm. and robocop excels in that department i would say as well uh, in terms of wrapping up but it also leaves a little bit of the mystery there for the subsequent films to pick up on as well yeah i, think, yeah, I would agree i think certainly from the most recent time i watched it um i couldn't help but think my god this film is relentless like it is literally just what one amazing scene after the next it just but it flows it's not it's not overbearing it's just like it's it has a nice even, pace to it yeah even even with the the media break segments as well it's like it breaks it up yeah you're fully immersed in that world um and like fran says the end it's not it's not like it's not like explaining things for the audience and treating them like they're dumb and it's like oh yeah well here's the story it's just it's just one line and you're kind of like fuck that's it wow you know what i mean yeah and the thing is as well if you follow along with it it builds the plot up and then removes those elements very neatly as well so you start out um with the adverts don't you and then you you end up you're you're in the police station and you get introduced to murphy and his partner and uh and and then what what happened i think it's ann lewis isn't it yeah um and then then the gang and then and then ocp and then blah 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 and it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and then Again, those exact same elements are removed one by one right the way down to the very right. end. Yeah. And then you and get it, you get that payoff one line boom credits theme song. Yes. Steve, like, yep. what's your history with the film? I've never seen it before. So this was a complete first for me, which was fantastic. Um yeah. so thank you for giving me the impetus to actually up off my ass and watch one of these classic films um and my main comment is the one that seems to be sort of echoing around the room just now it's a very efficient film and i mean that in the best possible way there isn't a single scene or line of dialogue that's wasted every single bit is there for a reason and i like that as i think fran said a lot of films now struggle to kind of wrap things up neatly with this film within i think the first 15 minutes you knew the plot the characters the motivation and you were straight in there and i was by doing that i was hooked i wasn't sat there both thinking right when are they going to come to i was like right we're in here we're doing this bam um and it was just like that every single scene after scene there was you know we've we've talked about films um mostly some of the bond films for example where there are obvious scenes where the director is effectively showing off a little bit or you know, things like 15-minute underwater battles or massive um, Ken Adams sets, uh, battle-type things. There's so few occasions in this film where the the director is trying to kind of take over and show off. You've got, for example, perhaps the, the petrol station scene, that big explosion and Robocop emerging from the flames and the guy on the bike in silhouette. That's possibly one of the only times in the film where you think, wow, that looks incredible. That's been done directorially to look stunning. But again, it's not really showing off. It lasts a few minutes, it looks great, and then bam, you're straight on to the next bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I mean, for that reason, it's it's a, a solid 90 minutes, and they, what you can cram into that, 
I mean, coming from someone who has absolutely no time for, I don't know, the you know director's cut of all three Lord of the Rings films, <laughs> 90 minutes, boom, straight in there. Guess absolutely what, loved it. Guess so. what we're reviewing next, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> right, hold on, we just book a week off work. <laughs> Excellent. Glad, good to hear. Gordon, come to you. Yeah, it's one of the most unsettling films I've seen in many a year, actually. I would say that was one of the first things that came into my head. And it was almost it was almost like Death Wish meets Short Circuit. There was kind of parallels then, but it covered so many different genres. Um but I was I was I was it was very magnetic, it was very tense, very fast paced. Um from start to finish, um I just felt very much involved in the film and I was just really captivated by it. Um yeah, and the, you know, there's a bit of heart and soul to it as well with the the character and his background. Um, when I say unsettled, just uh, I was actually surprised at how violent some of it was, uh, but that was part of what drew me to the film. Yeah, uh, and yeah, there was there's high stakes. Um, there was a, a twist, which um, a proper twist that I didn't really see coming later on. Um, there's a certain atmosphere, um, formulaic at times, but. Um, it, it had an atmosphere that which you don't get in a lot of the 1980s action films, um, like a grayness, things like the color palette are important. Fantastic music. Um, yeah, I'd never seen it like Steve. I'd I'd never seen it. I'd seen um, maybe five or ten minutes here and there. I'd maybe seen more RoboCop too. I'd actually seen of RoboCop the first one, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It surprised me in many ways. Excellent, good stuff. Oh, by the way, Gordon, I meant to say uh, to ask you. Um, uh, I have I have always felt that you could take the script of RoboCop and and tweak it into a James Bond movie quite easily because you've got a lot of the conventions of Bond. You've got megalomaniacal uh, villain uh, technology involved, a grand scheme. You have uh, criminals with henchmen that are ally- allied with the the guy. You've got this main main lead who's involved in some kind of law enforcement. Do you know what I mean? There's there's elements of the film. Does that does that make sense? I mean, there's, I mean, you could, they're, they're yeah, general. Well, they're, I, they're, it makes yeah, sense, but they're I also think, general enough that you could apply it to any action film, really, isn't it? I, I, I'm not sure. I was going to say I, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel. I do. I, I remember years ago watching it and, and thinking that and thinking, you know. So what would you do? Have James Bond murdered violently at the beginning of the film? No, then... no. Well, you couldn't. You couldn't have that. But it would be the no time to die. Like There's the ten minutes sky... to die. Yeah, and then... like the skyfall effect. You know, he gets shot. Um, you know, I just love how comes back. Yeah, it probably would be something like that, like a, a kind of a rebuild. Resurrection. Let's let's talk <laughs> about. Internet, yeah. I don't know if it's my internet, but everyone's voice keeps. Uh, you yeah, um, you seem to be getting really slower. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, oh, uh, sounds, I meant for the Bond guy. I think yours is cutting out, Gordon. Quite fitting for this uh, podcast. He does sound quite robotic. <laughs> Someone's in the phone. Like, two <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Company directive, whatever it was. Uh, I'm going to rejoin. Hold on. <laughs> Serve the public trust, uphold, yeah. no, protect the innocent, uphold the law. We've got the movie we'll poster, um, movie poster, part man, part machine, all oh, cop. cop. I fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? There's, uh, I was list, I was watching old trailers for it, and do you know what, actually one of the I don't know if they never had the theme song for RoboCop at this time, but there's actually a theatrical trailer playing the Terminator theme song over it. Have you ever seen that? What? 
That's I think I, I might have. Uh, I think I might have playing the playing the Terminator theme song. I don't know if they. I don't know if they were allowed to use that because Orion. Um, it was Orion that done uh, Terminator as well. But I, it's so weird, and at times I'm kind of like, I don't know if that works or not. You know what I mean? I'm kind of on the fence where it's like, I don't know, man. Some some scenes where Robocop's there, and it's like, da da da, and you're kind of like, hmm, interesting. There's an interesting uh, mixture with these '80s films and the trailers. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure I've I've seen films using. Uh, music from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, music from oh. Ali- Aliens as well, which is similar yeah. to Star Trek to, uh, in in completely different trailers. I can't recall what they were though, but I do I do remember seeing them on YouTube and thinking that's odd. Hmm. Uh, that's really strange. I think I remember the the Rock, the Michael Bay film, the Rock trailer. Either that used or the uh, it was one of the two. I don't know which came before. Was it the Rock came before Armageddon? I think it did, didn't it? Yes. Aye, so it was Armageddon's trailer was The Rock's music. And you know that way you're kind of like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, but obviously they would have just used the same director type thing. Well, my favourite ever use of music was the time Steve Barry came by and picked me up and I got in the car and we were driving back to his place with Alien soundtrack playing. And it was the most <laughs> dramatic drive of all time. I mean, it's totally mad. I mean, it was... Yeah. Wild. Didn't really work for stuck in traffic though. How how is it? There's a few names, obviously. Um, you guys mentioned the director. Is it Paul Verhoeven? I also oh, wondered how, the the composers of Basil Paul Doris. Is that how I would say? Oh, we were. I uh, so we were kind of. I don't know what the actual. Uh, for me, it it looks like Paul Doris, um, but it could be pronounced something differently. So apologies if it is to Basil. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, right. Okay, I've actually got an audio pronunciation here. Let me just see if I can get this to... <clears throat> right, here we go. You ready to hear this, guys? Go for it. Well, actually, I don't know if it will play. I might hear it in my headphones. Hang on. Oh, no, it's not working. <laughs> Damn it. I thought... I... Let me see. Does it say it? Um... Director failed. Hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to find it because there's, there's obviously a big debate here. Um, Polidorus? Polidorus? Polidorus. Polydorus, Polydorus, Paul Doris. People are people are have been debating this online for a very long time. <laughs> Paul Doris. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with Polydorus. I will go with we'll go with Basil Polydorus just for the purposes of this. Eh? Yeah. Polydorus. Yeah. Or Baz. Big Baz. We'll go with what that. did we we make of his music? I was really impressed, and I, I feel that um, there was very tense moments. It was more orchestral than I thought. And I don't think, um, I think it, for its time, and it was mainly an action film, it was very unique. And I don't, maybe, I don't know how many other films that um, Paul Doris <laughs> uh, contributed to in the 1980s, but um, it, 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 it's own unique style. No, Gordon, uh, he done uh, Conan, the Barbarian. I thought he actually done Total Recall, but it wasn't. It was Jerry Goldsmith, but then he done uh, Starship Troopers. Which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest sci-fi uh, soundtracks ever. It's got one of the most iconic themes. I actually, there. I don't know if you think this, uh, Tran. I think the Avengers theme song is, it steals some of the kind of yep. like the motives from Starship Troopers. Like, yep. see that kind of da 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 da, and yep. it's like you're like, are they? Uh, when they, I, I love the Avengers uh, music, but it's like that sounds very familiar. 
yeah. then it's like aye, it's Starship Troopers. Well, Starship Troopers did it better, and the oh, thing is, you you could actually interchange a lot of the music from Robocop and Starship Troopers, and in fact, you could even. I, it's interesting because you get this with the Alien franchise where you think to yourself, are there other films that are part of that franchise as well? But Total Recall, Starship Troopers and Robocop could very believably be in the same universe. They are. Just at different times. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they are sort of, it's like a kind of cult unofficial trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like a kind of black comedy, ultra violent action, Paul Verhoeven trilogy. Mm. And Starship Troopers is the end of that. I mean, obviously, Starship Troopers is is interesting because it's based off the Heinlein Heinlein novel, Starship mm-hmm. Troopers. Whereas I don't think I don't think Total Recall and Robocop. I think they were originals, weren't they? Robocop was definitely an original screenplay. Um, or was Total Recall maybe based off of a sci-fi novel as well? Maybe I couldn't put my my finger on it. I don't necessarily think so, but it could have been. Um, yeah, I know. I know Robocop was definitely um, was. Edward Newmyer and is it is it John Minor? Michael Minor. They, Michael Minor. They sort um, of met up, wrote together uh, over a series of months, really, and then got the sort of the budget to do a second redraft kind of thing. Um, yeah, because I think Edward Newmyer he he was working as like a uh, I don't know the job, and he was on the set of Blade Runner. And he had the idea of this kind of cyborg cop, the whole rebirth thing. Left his job because uh, he hated his job, and he was like, "Right, I'm going to go and write a screenplay." And I think Michael Miner he actually had a screenplay called Super Cop, and yeah. then the two of them got together, and then obviously RoboCop was um, RoboCop was born. It's a great idea, and you can see where you can see the connection from Blade Runner to this, and and the sort of. The feelings of the film, obviously, this, yeah. it's not can, as yeah. cinematic like in the cinematography. I don't think this one's a bit more efficient. Mm. Uh, Blade Runner has a mood with it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's more of a. It's almost like an art piece. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, what's interesting. I mean, like to kind of uh, to kind of segue into the plot side of things. I mean, looking at uh, talking about what it's about. What I find really interesting about RoboCop, particularly when you compare it to the remake that came or the reboot one that came out, is that. You, this doesn't it doesn't delve too much into any one of the aspects of the film it doesn't no. it doesn't overwhelm the audience so you've not in the new film you've got that scene where robocop gets taken apart and then he has mm. to stay whereas in this film he just looks in the mirror br- briefly for a second you've got some small flashbacks to his family things like that but i think it may be interesting to go through to go through the plot together like in terms of, of you know generally how it develops I mean, I don't know if you want to kick it. Scott, yeah. What do you think? No, well, we yeah, absolutely. probably start off with the the beginning, essentially. Obviously, leading up to the shocking uh, scene of uh, Murphy being completely <clears throat> tortured and murdered. Um, I know a scene that when I watched as a kid, <laughs> it kind of scarred me. Because um, it was one of those things where you hadn't seen that level of violence and sadism on screen um well let's 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 do it then so let's go through it then so this this is a this is a section that i've i'd like to call roboplot okay <laughs> no. okay so um plot so, cop. <laughs> i don't know every it, it, like robocop everything's got to be robo in front of it, isn't it? yeah uh, robocast peter, peter weller even uh, alludes to it in some comments so like 
anything that they done was like when he has the dream the, the dream section, it's the robo dream. Oh right. Yeah. Um, yeah. When he needed water on set, it was like robo water. Like he he's actually in interviews like saying things like that. This is the robo water. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, film starts, we see the camera um flying over what we soon to become as Detroit. Um, and easily one of the fastest and most dramatic title sequences you're ever going to see in any actions, any 80s action sequence, um, because you just see the massive big Robocop, and then it goes into media break, where they tell the audience, <clears> you <throat> give us three minutes, we'll give you the world. Um, and I think for me, I love this, because you're kind of you're kind of like, well, what, what is this? Like, is this the actual film? Um, it's masterful world building. It is, it? It, is, it just it's so immersive. It's not it's not spoon feeding, but it's just saying here's kind of where we are. Here's where this world is. Um, and I just love the fact that it's an ode to like that kind of standard American, you know, news reporting where it's all big smiles and they're saying really really bad stuff, <laughs> really horrible things, but it's just they're saying it with a smile and you're just like, man, you, you don't care. You know what I mean? Like you don't care. Yeah. Like the first thing they say is the the threat of nuclear war by the white ruling government in Pretoria, who are going to use a neutron bomb to 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 win this sort of like I'm assuming it's still like apartheid, but they don't necessarily pigeonhole it to that. Um, and then after that, they again to go on and talk about the president was up at the Star Wars space station. Things went awry, and you see them all floating about. It's all bizarre. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious! And then the the one of the best adverts is the heart ad, and it's just the you know again putting you into this immersive sort of you know here's the here's the news article, here's this ridiculous advert where they're basically trying to to sell you hearts, and it's like a Yamaha, and as he says, it's like get your Yamaha heart. And then I love the bit at the end where he goes. Because we care, ah. <laughs> you're like you're like no, you don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, yeah, just that pure. And that's one of Verone's things where he was like, I suppose it's, I suppose it was more owed to the time of the Reagan era, um, yeah. and it was all about capitalism and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's why it kind of is a timeless classic because when you watch it now, you're kind of going. That they were they were onto something. He was probably right. I know it feels totally prescient now, like it's um, almost mild in comparison to what we have now with yeah, you know that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's amazing. And those I remember reading somewhere that there was journalists or critics who were first screened it and thought the projectionist had spliced in the wrong film or something <clears> because yeah. they didn't know that those scenes were part of the film. Aye. which is and it, I nuts. mean the beauty of it is that then I mean it jumps. It's like get that you get an idea of how screwed up the world is and then it's bang it's into the police station into yeah. the chaos murphy gets transferred in oh that's a nice precinct you came from murphy mm. then you get your introduction to his partner and the first thing you find out about her is that she's battering some guy around the place <laughs> right? yeah. so you get that you know and uh, you do you know what i mean and then bang they're getting into the police car straight out of the police station do you know what i mean and um, but then we get our cut don't we to ocp and we get a wee break for a minute. We get that that break into right. What is going on with the OCP? What's the deal here? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So some good stuff. Uh, a couple of things that I'd kind of want to pick up on in terms of 
the, the police station bit because for me, I think in terms of directing, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the police, like, you know, the precinct area. Um, you get that in the media break where it finally gets to the last segment of the media break is actually them talking about um, three dead police officers. One of them's Officer Frank Fredrickson. Um, this is where you then see the the sort of segment where Dick Jones is talking. So you first see Dick Jones in the media um, mm-hmm. and then they then go on and talk about Clarence Bodiger's wanted for arrest of these officers. Yep. Um, like you say, cut to the precinct. I love how the precinct looks. It's like that typical 80s looks as if it's just been in a library. Um, yeah. there's, like bodies, <laughs> there's like bodies everywhere. It's brown. The, the, the police chief is up in this kind of like judge-esque um, sort of, you know, desk type thing. Um, and then Murphy, they, they obviously go to the locker room. Oh, it picks um, up, doesn't it? Yeah, it picks up yeah, the so, thread of the, the dead the, officer, yeah, Fredrickson. Yeah, so then obviously the chief comes in, some of the guys are kind of going, we should strike. And then at that point, uh, the chief comes in <laughs> with Cecil, I think his name is. It's just this pure yeah. wee, wee guy just yeah. hovering behind them. Um, and he takes the thingy down don't want to hear any talk about strike um but the thing that i like here is is that it, the the camera the camera pauses and holds on murphy's sort of name tag on his locker which is kind of like that would to be like oh, well guess what he's next um but i think it, again when murphy's talking to one of the cops and i didn't really notice it is this that murphy actually says oh i've been transferred down here ocp are transferring a lot of a lot of guys down here that's literally that's literally the company dictating to who is going to live and who dies. And there's another example of masterful storytelling that you don't see so much of anymore. It's not on the nose. It's, it's woven into the dialogue. Yeah. It's so good. That's, it's so good. Um, like you say, you go out, um, we get our first sight of Lewis, who is just kicking the absolute shit out of some poor guy. Uh, and then walks over and that's obviously, we see, um, Lewis and uh, Murphy interact for the first time. And I, th- I quite like this scene because, you know, Lewis isn't, she isn't sexualized, she isn't overly sexualized. There's no real, there's no, you, you never get that sort of forced, has to be sexual chemistry between a male, of, you know, a male and a female partnership. Do you know what I mean? Um, she just looks. She just looks as if she fits that world. Exactly, um, and let's let's point out this was what nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. Right? Nah. So you know another example of the the what I like to call the Ripley effect. Like that the, these the, these characters did exist. They yeah. did exist. They were out there. You know. What I mean, yeah. let's just point that out. Yeah, and I think likewise as well. Like when you're actually in the locker scene, you see you see nudity, you see like women's breasts and stuff, but it's a co-ed locker room. So it's kinda it's kinda almost it's not trying to ram it down your throat that everyone's equal, but it's like it's it's kinda just like right, well, we're all police officers, male or women, we're all in the same locker room. No one's looking at the women as if, oh, she's you know, she's naked and stuff. It's just that is what it is. Um and again it's watching it now, it's kinda things like that that are kinda like, oh well, like that's that's cool. It's just it's not a big deal made of it. But it's it's actually really good. I just wanted to say a bit about the the television, the newsroom uh, sort of thing, like the news broadcast, the advertising, because I thought that was very unusual, um, even for films of that era. Um, but once it started, you get into all the weird adverts and everything. Because it was so unusual, that's what I just kept thinking. What's next? What's this actually leading to? So it it, it mm-hmm. worked. 
yeah, as as weird as it was. I agree. I think there's a, sometimes sometimes media can be done in films where it's like the the, the sort of you know the main protagonist or the main characters will, they'll see the actual plot details via a media um, like news bulletin or or something like that. Um, and sometimes I kind of think think like mm, it seems a bit lazy. Whereas this this isn't actually it's not actually telling you you know oh Officer Murphy died horrifically. It's not it's not doing that. It's literally just that if you were there in this world and you turned on your television, this is what you would watch. So but it's you've got that. to yeah, uh, I agree, and it, you've so got to also just admire the I guess the director for you know taking that different direction to have to be bold enough to. The, just especially just the quick cuts we're talking about the quick how it just quickly cut to the TV advert. You're wondering if you're actually in an advert or not. And it quickly cuts back to the police station. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite a daring move, but um, you've got to admire that because you know it's t- it's testing new waters for films of that era. It yeah. does feel like like something mentioned earlier. When they're not talking down to the audience. They they are aware the audience will follow this. This is obviously uh, a decision that's made because they're not you know, they appreciate the audience intelligence to recognise that these were scene setting, tone setting moments, but here's the actual yeah. moment to moments of the film and we don't need I mean, to make it obvious with a sort of glimmer effect or a, yeah. you know, words to come on the screen or something. I mean, you think about it this guy, Frank Fredrickson must have been fucked up, right? Because not only minutes later we actually see the police chief taking his locker down and he's died and he's telling them about the funeral and it's just the way uh, i think his, his name's casey Wong. He, he ends the segment by going good luck frank <laughs> you know what i mean and it's just like it's just so tone deaf the guy is clearly critical and it's just like good luck frank. Uh, yeah. i just find that it's just so good it's so good it's i think you've also got to admire and the if we look at that early part of the film they don't um, waste time on explaining the reasoning behind certain things. At first, I thought it was very um, unusual how... I know I'm skipping forward slightly here, but when you, you've you already mentioned, obviously, about Murphy's <laughs> brutal attack and, well, seemingly death, and then, then it quickly cuts to the hospital, and then he very quickly becomes the Robocop character. There's not, there's not um, somebody telling you this is what we're planning to do. Yeah. This is how we're going to mix the the human minds with the the actual robotic equipment. Yeah. It, it yeah. was um, they didn't wait, but they didn't need to do that because you pick it up as you go along, and there's it would just wait. It would yeah, it would waste screen time and get it would mm. become like too many of these films. That, right, so. Imagine how cool it would be if we took human characteristics and we just like had this super cop running about the street um doing saving all the manpower of all the police. Do you know what I mean? They didn't uh It's like it's like Fran said at the start, um, and obviously we don't want to go into future spoilers on any sequels or remakes and stuff, but the the, the remake tried the remake done just that. It it held on points of the film where you're just like, I mean, I, I don't need to see it. I don't need to see what Robocop looks like when he's not got the armor on. It's like, I, I like my imagination to be like, 
mm, I wonder. I wonder what's under that chassis. You know what I mean? Like, I, but I don't. I don't need to see it. I don't want to see it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you can apply you that know. to most things. I feel like when, when you take any character and do a prequel or something. I we've been talking about Star Wars before. Mm. Uh, I think the way that they've done Boba Fett and they have to now a full series of Boba Fett and it totally ruins any mystery in the character. It's that kind of thing where series creators feel they need to get into nitty gritty of things but then by doing that you lose mystery and i've always said that even with the prequels and darth vader that was a prime example of that but yeah you know we'll leave <laughs> that's a whole other topic so um so yeah so uh, lewis kicks the shit out of someday they're introduced um as they're leaving the precinct uh lewis is going to lewis says um um i'll drive murphy jumps in in front and says i like to drive when I'm breaking in a new partner um, and then this is a really funny this is like an actual running joke throughout the film because this is the first time we actually see Murphy he drives like a prick and when he leaves the precinct the, the bottom of his car sort of scrapes the the sort of ramp um, and I think Paul Verone he he just liked, he just loved that as a gimmick throughout so anytime any car's leaving that police station or when Murphy done it, um, it, it clips the, the sort of um, the ramp, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, something you see in real life uh, a little bit, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, so then we clip switch to uh, OCP, OCP yeah. building, and then we get our first sighting of uh, Bob Morton. He's talking to Johnson and Kinney, um, and straight away, you know, Bob Morton does coke. You know, he's he's got that sort of slimy skin. You know, he 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 does draw. He does a lot of drugs. You know what I mean? Um, and he does not care for anything other than him. Um, and I think it's really well portrayed. Um, that, yeah, I mean, like, like that whole, the whole OCP bit is one of my favourite oh, <laughs> scenes in the film because it's, but, but I think it's the, it's the, the grand introduction, you know, it, it, well, it, it shows you the, the sort of the machinations at OCP that, that they're all going to stab each other in the back. <laughs> I, yeah. I, notice. I um, literally blow each other away. The thing that amused me, I think, uh, the most was the, obviously, Ed 209 gets revealed. They're trying to do the experiment, with, you know, where they give um, one of the guys the pistol. Um, I think it's Kenny. Um, it gets given the pistol. Kenny, Kenny, or Kenny, yeah. Kenny gets given the pistol. So obviously the theory is that Ed Two Hundred Nine would, as soon as Kenny drops the pistol, Ed Two Hundred Nine mm. would not kill him, right? <laughs> but then the the machine malfunctions, and then you get this scene of the boat. Like so, Kenny, right, is trying to escape. Right, but all of the other people in the board are trying to shove him back in front of the robot, right? <laughs> because they don't want to be shot, right? So it's like boardroom oh, politics, like in that insane situation of we're all in here for ourselves. Just go and die, Kenny, so that the situation will be over. So poor Kenny gets shoved back over, blown to smithereens in the most brutal way imaginable. I mean, I mean. It's, it's it's again practical effects. This guy is blown right, chunks flying out of the guy, right? right? But then you've got while they're all screaming, they're like, "Call a paramedic!" I'm gonna get a goddamn like, paramedic. <laughs> Let's <yeah>. go, Johnson. <laughs> what, what you need is a cleaner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think a paramedic was going to be able to do much. Uh, uh, then, uh, then you get the old man, right, who walks away. He's like, "I'm very unhappy," or whatever, right? Uh, but but it's not because the man's died. It's because of the expense. Uh, it's, it's like, it's, well, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I find that's Jones, surreal, Jones, is like, Jones is like, it's just a glitch. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. like, 
a man has been brutally killed in front of them all, and it's like it's like it's going to cost us money. Well, it's just a glitch. And then I know it was working. Like the I just thought that it was amazing how the three guys are almost oblivious to the fact someone's been brutally killed in the room. And obviously, there's a reason why Ronnie Cox's character. Maybe you can reason why later on he. He had no emotion, but the other two guys just like, oh, so we, I think we need to work on it a bit or something. You know? Yeah, and, and you've, really got, weird. you've got, um, what's his name? Uh, yeah, uh, Martin. Uh-huh. So so Cokehead basically goes over and he's like, right. Well, he so I, again, he so, sees this as his chance. Uh-huh. So this uh, guy's just been murdered. incinerated and he's like that. Oh well, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but by the way, I've got a Robocop yeah. program that could maybe be better than this, and it's just like that. Again, probably at the time you probably had that. You just had that ladder climbing, corporate, don't care, ruthless. You know, pr- proper ruthlessness. Um, you could almost imagine like, Patrick Bateman in that office. Do you know what I mean? Like aye. those people, like from American Psycho. I mean, that that sort of yuppie, yeah. corporate, soulless. Patrick Bateman would have loved OCP. I mean, <laughs> he would have fitted aye. in perfectly there. I think it's good. I, I, I love the fact as well that. They're obviously going in. Um, the old man gives his speech, and they're all clapping and stuff like that. And what he's saying again, it's kind of like the news bulletin where these people are saying these things, but you're like, I don't believe you. And he makes a comment about, um, I think it's time we gave something back, and they all clap, and you're just like, you're not going to give anything back. You know, this is this is all for, this is all for your benefit. You it's, know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it's just rubbish. Stop talking rubbish. And Miguel um, Ferrer, the guy that plays Bob Martin, he's the he, one that's he enthusiastically like making sure he's the one that's loudest because he's wanting to be. Uh, seen. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's maybe I wonder that one of the scenes where you did mention the abundance of comedy in this film, and that that's an example of it. I thought that it's weird how the guy you referred to as the old man. He is literally that is his character that's name, the old yeah, man, which is funny. Yeah. Um, some. I thought he, some of his acting was pretty terrible in that scene, actually. But I think going on to Morton's character, though, um, Miguel Ferrer, they, and you see this in a lot of films, they did everything to just make him the most hateable character. You've got to admire when they can do that with somebody. Yeah. Even even in like a, you know a TV soap, for example, they're lovely people in real life, but to you know he's all there. He just he's um, he's ignorant. He's aggressive. Um, he such, doesn't care. He's no emotion. There's, yeah. you know, he just he's a cocaine addict. There's just for for me personally, there's like so many reasons to hate this character. The way he looks, he sneers at people. I think you got to admire that creating that kind of character. I hundred percent agree. But you're you're conflicted because this guy is directly responsible for Robocop. I mean, it's, Do you know what I mean? I, mean, I know it's not directly responsible. Yeah, that's true. But, I, but, but you're kind of like if this guy. This guy didn't get his way if he didn't push it. You know, you ain't going to get Robocop. So it's like, well, man, I mean, this guy is just clearly, clearly interested in the money, the the prestige, getting into the VIP club, the you know the fucking toilet, which we'll get to. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, he's, I don't, you know, what I mean, I'm maybe not conflicted as such, but I was going to say because you, you don't want Robocop. It's the most ridiculous idea I, in the world. Hundred percent, but. You know, at the end of the film, I'm kind of like, well, I'm I'm happy I got Robocop, so thank you, Bob Morton. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do um, like the scene in the bathroom with uh, the other character. Is it was it Bob? Who who is who's his main Bob? Is that the name of the character? Dick, that's, Dick, Dick, Dick Jones. Dick Jones. Yeah, the Dick Jones. Like so, that scene when he's obviously you know talking about him, slagging him. 
and then obviously the, 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 the yeah. but you can see you can see from the camera angle that that uh, he's sitting in the toilet taking a shit (laughs) it's so like undignified like the way that it's shot this this humor in the cinematography i know do you know what i mean in this film but i i mean yeah yeah i've skipped ahead Um, yep so obviously poor kenny gets absolutely shot to shit um steve mentioned it steve mccall sort of mentioned it at the start this is obviously where we're introduced to um ed 209 who you probably think is going to be the main bad guy in this film. Um, but it turns out that well, obviously he is still a, an antagonist to Robocop, but he's he's not as um I don't know. Polished. Polished. <laughs> so I, I think for me definitely when I was younger, you see Ed 209, it just looks it just looks insanely like over the top imposing. You know, it's got a big cannons, fucking big great white shark head. The, it roars like a jaguar you know what i mean like yeah. when it does when it doesn't like something it's just it's almost so comical and hilarious that this company would yeah. do something like this um yeah. but, it's fit, but it fits the world um but i think in terms of in terms of aging you're right that that when ed 209 obviously comes in you can see it's the way they've done it is that they've recorded the the, the scene and then they've superimposed the, the stop motion over the top of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine the slightly ropey um, stop motion is probably limitations of 1987. If not in what was physically possible at that time, then perhaps due to, to budgetary restraints, because you look at the special effects on films that went around at the time, things like your your Star Wars and whatnot, which did look a lot more realistic, but that was probably big budget Hollywood stuff. Whereas this feels a bit more like a, a kind of indie um, film that didn't have the the mass reserves of cash that Hollywood and Spielberg would have had access to. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the actual story is, Steve. To be honest, for me, it kind of probably does scream budgetary because the entire production was like dramatically over budget anyway. Um, oh, right. and, obviously, and obviously, like it, it had to be extended by Orion twice. I think it did. Um, so, but I don't know. It could have maybe even just been similar to what Spielberg did with Jurassic Park. It might have just been a case of Orion saying, "I actually prefer the stop motion stuff, like as opposed to the CGI." Um, so it could have. It could have been a. For me, I, I think it's probably more to do with the um, the, the the budgetary sort of limitations that they probably had with the film okay okay i mean it, it kind of works for the film it gives it that kind of um i don't know it, it doesn't look too kind of high i think i mean i think the ed 209 is meant to be, as particular as we discover towards the end of the film it is meant to be a bit kind of as terrifying as it is a bit Almost useless. a comic relief. Exactly. <laughs> well. It yeah. doesn't work. And then yeah. when we see how it handles stairs, you actually start laughing and go, okay, yeah, I can see how useless these things meant to be. So I suppose the stop motion kind of reflects what it was actually like as a as a device, whereas Robocop, which is the one that actually worked, looks and sounds and feels a lot slicker and cooler and yeah. actually, actually there and works. I suppose when you think about it, you know, if there was budgetary requirements and obviously the stop motion, when you think about stop motion, it literally is moving bit by bit. Ed 209 is a big robot. So it kind of almost is robotic anyway. So I think that that probably fits um, with it. Um, Would that have worked with dinosaurs? 
you know, Phil Tippett's obviously done loads of stuff with with dinosaurs and stuff, but it it does look a bit jarring um, when it's like a live animal type thing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. That. Actually, yeah. So, but um, I think anyway, stop motion so, does work a lot better with machines, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. or um, clay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, uh, is that a segue to Wallace and Gromit though? <laughs> yeah, it's never thought we'd compare Robocop and Wallace and Gromit, but there you go. <laughs> um, so where were we? So yeah, so scene so good. A uh, couple of um, uh, goofs in the scene though, where so obviously poor Kenny is getting the shit shot right out of him, but not one. And obviously you're seeing the bullets going through his body, but the glass behind him is perfectly intact. Um, <laughs> And then there's another funny bit where I read a uh, scene where see when Kenny gets blown onto this the the sort of lovely white um you know sort of statue of of Detroit City or New Detroit City, you can actually see the actor push off the ground and leap up <laughs> onto the <laughs> he leaps up backwards onto the thingy, um and it's just it's just funny those those wee kind of things I love uh it's so funny right. um it's fantastic when well, i think i think that scene but i think that was obviously that was one of the the few scenes that had to be properly watered down um because i think the film had to go through it was nearly 20 times it had to get through to, to get actually rated um and it kept on being knocked back so that scene had to be watered right down um i think the theatrical version you you, you don't get i don't know how many bullets poor kenny gets hit with but it's certainly not as much as the the, yeah, yeah. that was a bit which actually shocked me that yeah. when I talk about being very unsettled with the film, it was just there was the sorry the Ed two hundred nine pumps several rounds into the character thing. Mm. Oh, he's definitely dead. And then it just doesn't stop, and all this <laughs> blood and guts. It just he... does not stop. Just completely oblivious. Right. At that point, I thought, right, I know what direction they're going to be going in this film. That was confirmation. It's when he. It's when he does get blown back onto the table and then it still keeps going. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like this poor guy is just in pieces. Um, yeah, it's really good. You try and to imagine. In contrast to the, the stop motion, the blood and guts in the film actually looks fantastic. I mean, that yeah. looks like it's proper sort of blood packs and stuff like that, but that looks properly realistic, I think, when people are getting their limbs blown off and people are getting the shit shot out of them. Oh, I think yeah. that looks brilliant for 1987. Yeah, yeah you're right, actually. That's a good shout. Uh, the thing it reminded me of, it was sort of like Mortal Kombat clearly sort of took a lot from that, I think, because I had just that over-the-top cartoon violence mm -hmm. where it is so stupidly ridiculously violent that it becomes <clears throat> comedic that that's that's what i i love about it i, I was i was howling in laughter actually at the scene with ed 209 the idea that this is the way to, to tackle crime um that th this is the way to subdue a a, a criminal uh, is this well the... i tell you yeah I tell you what, I'd have Ed 209 on the Gurek train late at night or the Whiffle one or the bus through the Gallo game. I would certainly cut down the train. Imagine you had your own personal Ed 209. Um, Could you cheat yeah. yourself? 20 seconds you'd... to show your ticket. Right. <laughs> you'd, you'd be just sitting there and then the next minute you would hear this roar, like a, a Jaguar. I, I actually think the roar is a Jaguar that yeah. they, they, they used. You'd hear this roar, you'd be like, ah, is, there a fucking, is there a fucking animal on this train? Do you yeah. know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, well, I think 20 seconds is a fair amount of time to get someone to show use, their ticket. Use 20 seconds to comply or else you get fucking <laughs> obliterated. <laughs> yeah, right, we'll need to sort of more yeah, we'll swift, move, swiftly move on because so, we'll, this will um, be a bit four-hour podcast. So obviously Morton and Johnson uh, leave the room uh, and Morton, again, you get into that sort of his mindset where Johnson goes pity about Kenny Han. He's just like, that, like that's life in the big city. Uh, and then we move on to, yeah, so the next scene is Murphy and Lewis having a coffee in square cups. I don't know if any of you um, noticed that, but the cups that they drink out of are square, yep. which I always thought was fucking so bizarre. But again, it was maybe an ode to this is what we're going to be drinking out of in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the future cup, square cups, yeah. <laughs> the RoboCup. Um <laughs> Uh, so, and this is a quite this is a cool scene because again, it's not it's not we don't hold on to this scene just too long, but there's loads of foreshadowing here, uh, and it's quite a cool scene where again, there's no sexual chemistry. It's just two cops talking to each other. Murphy's doing his twirling thing. He says, "Oh, my son likes this TJ laser," uh, and then that's obviously when they get the call from the dispatch to you know go and find the bad guys. Um, this is where we see uh, Clarence Bodiker and all his glory and poor Bobby, which we're going to see in a wee second, he's burnt the money uh, and is completely expendable uh, in Bodiker's gang. Um, so fighting, see, uh, shooting scene happens, uh, Murphy's shooting the van, they can, it's like, kind of like a cat and mouse, they kind of disappear, they open the doors, they start shooting them, not there or up at the side. Um, incidentally enough, either Murphy's a really bad shot as a man because um, there's no bullet holes in the side of this van or anywhere in this van apart from poor Bobby's legs uh, when he's shooting at the side of the van. Uh, where are we here? So, yeah, so Murphy shoots this guy's in the, this guy in the legs. Yeah. I think Bodiker sees his opportunity, knowing that guns aren't going to do the trick, picks poor Bobby up, and then he says the uh, quotable line of, can you fly, Bobby? They throw him onto the, the car, the police car, Lewis and Murphy have got to stop for a second. They get away, get the call that they're going to the steel mill, they follow them at the steel mill. Um, Scott, uh, can I just um, quickly point out, just while you were at that exact bit, um, when they arrive at the steel mill, do you say this, so this is like the big factory? I think it's I think it's referred to as the steel mill. In the yeah. yeah. Well, as, as soon as, I think it's, um, I think it's Murphy's partner, um, Nancy Allen's character, Officer Lewis. She says to him, I think we should wait for backup. And he's like, aye. no, I'm just going. I just thought, what are you doing? Aye, <laughs> this is, is it... not going to end well. Dude, you must wait for backup. <laughs> I know, because well, I think it's the dispatcher then says, uh, you need to wait until units can arrive type thing. Um, and then I think Murphy says, will you call it? But it's actually, I think it's actually Lewis that's like, well, fuck it, let's go. We're, we're here. Um, so then we get in. Uh, the two of them split up. Uh, oh, Lewis... hang on, hang on a minute. Did you did you explain the bit where Bobby gets thrown out the van? Yeah, yeah. yeah How did I miss that? Can you thought... fly, Bobby? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I All was right, going to so... say like this, and the fact it's also funny how the cops leave Bobby in the street like normal I cops throwing an ambulance to come and get him or something like <laughs> it's that. Just like, it's just like push him off the windscreen and then just drive <laughs> off. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yep. Um, bye bye Bobby so we're in the in the steel mill um, the two of them split up uh, I think his name's Joe uh, who's the guy he's taking a piss um, Lewis uh, pops her chewing gum 
uh, he turns around, uh, and this is where he you get that funny sign where Manifa zipped this up. And Lewis, you can just see in her eyes, you know, again, she's not overly sexualized, but it's like she's just got to look at that dick and she, she she can't help herself. And then that's when the guy takes his opportunity to knock her gun away, uh, throw Lewis off the side. She's totally incapacitated now. That's her out of the game. Meanwhile, Murphy's down. He shoots, uh, I think it's his name's Emil, who's one of the main kind of bad guys. Murphy shoots the other guy, tries to arrest Emil. Um, and again, there's the there's the sort of the the, the, the quotes or the, the phrases that Murphy uses as a man come back to um, mean something later in the film. Um, where this is where he says to Emil, dead or alive, you're coming with me. Uh, unfortunately for Murphy, he is then surrounded by uh, all of Boddicker's gang and Boddicker. Uh, and this is where we get one of the most fucking graphic and visceral uh, <laughs> murder scenes, I think, in any film. Um, Boddicker sort of teases Murphy, hits him in the back of the legs. Murphy says, buddy, I think you're slime. And then it's so cruel. I think this bit was actually cut out of the theatrical cut, but see the bit where Boddicker starts to kind of do the targeting noise, where he's like, nee, 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 nee. Nee, nee, yeah, nee, nee. yeah, so good. And then he finally gets the Murphy's hand. Oh God, I know. Blows the hand I, off. And the thing is, that looked so real. It yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, more real than any CGI could ever. Because it was a real effect, obviously. But it yeah, looked yeah. like. And the thing is, it's the way Murphy reacts and gets up and sort of walks hunched over, like as if he's going to be sick. Do you know what I mean? I, like, he's, like, he's just, he's just looking at, he's looking at the stump, which is just. Oh, man. And and he's just looking at it as if what the fuck just happened. And it gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah, aye, well, aye. well that, that's the thing is that I mean he's got body armor on, right? So that's why he survives all this. But like, I mean, when he's shot by all those shotguns into the body armor, that would be like that would be even worse almost because a shotgun shot would have killed him. Yeah, right? with a, with a, I, I, think the, I think the 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 next shot when he obviously they, they get him to turn around, the uh-huh. next shot blows his arm off it blows his, his right arm off um, and then that's obviously when they just unload uh, I don't even know how many rounds he into just, the, yeah into yeah, the body armour yeah. body armour so, so eventually the body armour starts to just disintegrate and there's pieces flying everywhere um, but that's not it. even to, to consider I mean we don't actually see I mean he probably was hit all across the chest, arms and legs, legs and, and yeah. God, God knows what else. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there wasn't uh, much of them left. And I, as Steve pointed out earlier, sorry, Scott, I'll let you. That's all right. Down you go. No, as Steve pointed out earlier, it's not just the fact that there's these terribly harrowing, shocking things happening to him, getting bits of his limbs blown off, and, and obviously his reaction trying to crawl away and everything. But it's the like Steve pointed out, it's the sadism, the the members of Bodker's gang laughing at them as they're. <laughs> Yeah. As they're shooting them, it's it's just that that scene. I just couldn't get in my head. I even I had a like sort of semi nightmare the the night after watching. Not kind of related to that. I think it was just that it, it really stuck in my head. But yeah. I guess it's compelling viewing. It's really it. well done how they're they're maniacal and psychopathic, but not comical. Because you can, I think it's probably quite easy for a filmmaker to tip accidentally yeah. into almost comic book or sort of humorous um, bad guys, but he, they managed to completely walk the line of psychopathic, but terrifying, not funny. I think that's good. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think the, the character Joe, 
who he um for the maniacal uh, laugh. Yeah, he he kind of says something like, "Does it hurt? Does it hurt?" And they actually all stop because they've ran out of ammo. You get the impression that if they had ammo readily available, they would just restock their shotguns just keep going. and start shooting at them again. Um, and Emil obviously says, "Here, Clarence is still alive," or he says he's still alive. Bodicker's like, "Right, we've had our fun." Um, again, this is a, this is the the scene that was cut from the theatrical release. Um, but it was the um, prosthetic head of Peter Weller, and it does that sort of pan shot where you see it starts off at the front and it comes ends at the back, and you see the bullet going through the back of his head. And I think even even that animatronic, the um, animatronic, I can't even say that, the prosthetic Peter Weller head. Well, animatronic. Animatronic. That's it. My God, yeah. it still looks so good. Like you can tell it's a you can tell it's a dummy. You can tell it's effects. But it still looks it still looks convincing um, uh, to this point, uh, and I thought it was really good. But in terms of your point, Steve, I, I think the casting in this film in general is just it, it kind of almost elevates it as well because all of these bad guys, even Clarence Bodica, he's not like that typical eighties bad guy where he's like six foot five, he's got a ponytail, and he's got like tattoos, and he's you know he's he's just a he's just a normal kind of wiry, creepy guy. Did you see the action film sort of Bond way of giving the villain some kind of obvious disfigurement or something that goes, oh yeah, yeah, the villain. They look like the kind of guys you'd walk past in the street or you'd see in a pub or something like that. That's who villains normally really would be. I mean, the the thing, what's interesting about them as well is um, at least two of the guys playing the villains, um, they're sort of paramount actors. Well, they would appear in various episodes of um i think the guy that plays clarence was in that 70s yeah. show he was in episodes yeah. of star yeah. trek yeah. Things like that. can i um uh-huh. add to that um fran just when you finish that point yeah yeah that's me done <laughs> yeah because yeah, I, I, I was actually going to mention the same thing because yeah the, the actor um fran was kurtwood smith who played bodiker and and also who stood out to me was um ray wise the actor who he played one of the like Sort of one of his head henchmen. Um, God, yeah. Gordon is Ray Wise. Is he Leon? Is he the guy that's got the really yeah. big mouth? Uh, I don't. I didn't really notice a, a big He's mouth face. Biggest mouth. Uh, the black um, curly hair. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I black curly hair. So I was going to say both those characters appeared in twenty fours. Like one mm. of them was a an American vice president. They were both like sort of American diplomats. And in general, I've seen them in a few roles, and I believe that that's the sort of typical. That's the sort yeah. of roles I associate them with. So I mean, on that, I, I didn't completely buy them as villains. I thought like um, there was enough there, certainly for Bodiker. I think. Um, you could get most talented actors and give them that, uh, you know, those kind of lines and those kind of moments and they'd be able to do something with it. But I don't think he was quite enough of a dangerous looking guy to be the the lead villain. I enjoyed it, but I think um, he is more associated with those roles. I think you've got to look at the, um, and that's, that's fair enough. I think the thing that I appreciate what Paul Verone did is, Kurtwood Smith was seen as he was at, at the time. It was the same as Nancy Allen. She was the she was in Carrie. She was the you know long blonde curly hair. He and 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 it's the same with um uh, the guy that played Dick Jones, Ronnie Cox. So yeah. Ronnie Cox yeah. was this country singer, 
nice guy. People actually, but he was getting like reviews back then as to say, well, he can't play a bad guy, can't play like a kind of alpha male kind of, you know. But Paul Verone seen that and he was like, well, he's going to be my bad guy. But yeah, that, that's the thing because Ronnie Cox then went on to play. You know, he, he like, was, he, I mean, he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember him as yeah. well. Again, from Star Trek, he played a, a sort of a, mm-hmm. a villainous type character. Well, not villainous, but like a, a sort of antagonist in Star Trek. He was played a serial killer in Dexter. Um, so he, he did go on. He, funnily enough, actually became someone you picked that, for those sorts of roles. But yeah, I, I like the fact, right? I mean, you know, I don't know what sort of criminals you may have met in your lives, but <laughs> criminals that you meet in real life are not. Mm. Are, you know if you meet criminals and you speak to them and you realize who they are and you're like you're oftentimes surprised you're like oh hang on a minute you look like a guy that would work in an office yeah. well the, the the use of ronnie cox as a villain I, that was when I, when I mentioned a big twist to me that was a big twist i didn't see coming i don't know because i associate him more with lieutenant bogomil and beverly hills cop one and two two was made in the same year as this film actually and he was like he was a hero character in that and Maybe that was his great strength, but I, I did, I bought him a bit more as a villain. I would say towards the end of this film. That's interesting. I, I, th- I think, I think it's the distinction between cinema villains, like theatrical villains, yeah. you know, and real life villains. And I think what they were trying to do with this film was to make it real life and make yeah. it, you know, these were. This is what it's really like. Like you know, the whole thing about being a villain is that you're people are not going to see you coming, and that's how you survive. And I think that's with the with these guys. And what I also liked about them as well was the jarring aspect of the fact they were all completely loving the chaos. Like you could tell <laughs> that they were just having a great time. Yeah, these guys yeah. like just laughing their heads off constantly. Um, you know that that sort of mad kind of almost. Of a very eighties thing, isn't it? The sort of punk, the the, the sort of the the correlation between kind of dressing a bit punky, like that younger one, the, the with the guy that the, the the sort of baldy one. What was he called again? Um, Is this the guy who looked like? He looked to me a bit like Emil. Theo, the Chili Peppers. He was um, the guy, the guy Emil. from the petrol stations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So he he's probably the more the more kind of the more normal, like the one you would see and look at him and go, yeah, he's a bad yeah, guy. He's, he's going to rob a petrol station, that guy. Yeah. Right. So there was a, there was a mixture. Do you know what I mean? There was a mixture. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I got the feeling, uh, so the games that were coming out, you know, over the next few years, the video games, I could imagine the, these characters were like the sort of streets of rage mm-hmm. characters you'd fight all these kind of outlandish villains with their boots and their sort of leather jackets or whatever. Um, and sort of, yeah, that kind of, very late 80s uh kind of henchmen kind of characters uh, and, and looking at um Kurtwood Smith and we were talking about how he and inter- it's funny he interpreted because he was told to wear they were scripted to wear glasses and the the intention with the right the writers gave gla- uh, um Bodica glasses was actually they wanted him to kind of sort of it was like a a trait of the Nazi party member Heinrich Himmler mm-hmm. who was obviously obviously a very villainous ca- uh, person in real life so but I don't think uh, Smith actually realised that, and he's seen it as more of like an intellectual thing, and then he took it differently. But it just shows you the. the you no, know, that's an amazing of... point, Steve. Sorry, I'm eating a bit of chocolate. <laughs> like I had to unmute myself and say this: that if you look at the the leaders of the Nazi Party, they do not look like your quintessential bad guy. Uh, they just look like a bunch of like a bunch of nerds. Mm-hmm. Did Kurt Smith not actually play Goebbels in some? I don't know if it was television or film. 
Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure uh, you did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's the these they're awful human beings and the lengths they go to, like there's no empathy. There's zero empathy mm. in this film. And it's a trait that you notice throughout. Like everyone is devoid of it, apart from Nancy Allen's character, you know, where she can empathize with with Murphy's plight. But the, the rest of the film, it's just everyone's lost their soul. Like even yeah. on the police side of things and the no CP side of things, it's just, and that feels very, you know, late 80s storytelling and in, in, in American Psycho, that's pretty much it. As Fran mentioned, that American Psycho feels like mm. it was written from that that company, you know. Mm. Um, right. See, I knew, um, I know we'll, we'll cut on. I knew Dick Jones was going to be the bad guy when he says to Kenny, "Pointed at it two or nine. Yeah, you're kind of like, you, all, all you're kind of expecting is the wee kind of maniacal sort of, <laughs> you know, I mean, pointed at it two or nine. <laughs> but anyway, we were. Uh, yeah. so, I suppose then, as I was saying, the next bit is the sort of transformation, which, you know, you get in snippets and then we sort of see the police's reaction to Robocop when he arrives. Everybody runs down the hall following, you know. Um, I think that transformation scene has to at least just be sort of acknowledged for being a really clever bit of storytelling, because there are lazier directors who perhaps might have just gone from Murphy being killed and put up a slate that said one month later and you've got Robocop walking into the police station. But that way of seeing it from Murphy's unconscious perspective and just those snippets of him, obviously, you know, you understand that he is being built, but there's that kind of mystery of what are they doing to him. And And I I think there's also, Steve, did you pick this up, the idea that he is somehow in there observing this? Yes, he's he's not completely dead. There's a level of consciousness which almost kind of is in the mind of almost sort of demolition man of he's not quite dead but he's dead mm. but he's not quite dead because it's even when you see there's the 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 i think it's new year he, yes he, it seems as if he turns on himself and obviously you've got the kind of like the green right and stuff like that so he's booted up and then they go oh he's, he's awake or so, someone's got pissed and yeah hit the, <laughs> the, the robo button uh <laughs> But I know a hundred percent, and I think I don't know. Maybe it was budgetary. Maybe they wanted to go into. It, but I think modern day filmmaking, you wouldn't see it from Murphy's Murphy's perspective. You would see, I think, the, you, you I would agree. see it from the, the 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 rather than you see the guy drilling it in Murphy's head. You would actually see the fucking nuts and bolts. Well, I think it was perfect. Brain. I think yes. I mean, the, the drilling thing is hilarious just because it looks so, <laughs> so cheap and easy, like dated, that kind of like. Yeah. And the grid just. Yeah. I mean, it's I like comical. the foreshadowing as well. I, I thought also there was. Um, and then later on, when there was the sense of Robocop actually developing human feelings and starting, like, bits of his memory starting to somehow come back. Um, yeah, there was something. Um, I'm almost totally forgotten what I was going to say there, but there's something uh, very compelling about about that added to the sadness, to the tragedy of the film and yeah. the the bleakness of the film when he remembered he seemed to remember the life he once had, especially that scene when he goes, he somehow finds a way to his old house and sees it's empty and he's these flashbacks of his, I think it's his son and his wife. Yeah. It's really kind of that's one of the real emotional parts of the yeah. film. Well, I think in the the the, the well, obviously in the, the 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 POV scene, if you want to call it that, when um they they, they bring it in and they say something like, "Oh, we've managed to save the left arm," and Morton's like, 
I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis, so lose lose the arm. And then he says, what do you think, Johnson? It's like, well, he signed the thing for the police force. He's legally dead. We can do what we want to him. And I think it's that's the, that's the turning point where it's like, he's no longer a man. He's now product. Yeah. He's now... The, you know these guys do anything we want to this guy um, yeah of it all this time. and the ease yeah. at which they, they just decide oh we're going to take somebody's arm off it's like you're deciding what uh, one of your wheelie <laughs> yeah. bins you're going to put some uh, rubbish in or like exactly. what shop you're going to go to it's like it's <laughs> as if it's just such a basic thing uh, just, just lose it yeah lose the arm that's it um, yeah it's so good um, so um, so obviously Robo uh, gets unveiled um and it's, I don't know if anyone, any of you guys watch it, but you, you kind of get the shot of Robocop on the screen, right? Yes. But the way Robocop's walking is in a fucking straight line, but on the video, he turns to the right. Do you, and he's what? Oh, and he's noticed that? I did not notice so that. So the, ca- the camera's still walking straight on, but Robocop on the video turns to the right. And it's like, hmm. Anyway. Just a wee goof there. Uh, so we go to the firing scene. Uh, everyone hears Robo's gun. They all stop. They all look. Uh, and this is when Lewis, um, you get her wee kind of do-do-do-do. The theme sort of, the music comes in when he spins the gun and puts it in his, his leg. Um, Robocop then uh, leaves the precinct. Um, and a fun fact for you, that you know the scene when Robocop catches the keys? I think this is hilarious, right? That apparently took forty odd takes because the the glove was made out of pure latex, right? So any time Peter Weller tried to catch the keys, they would just bounce off the glove. So it took about forty odd takes for him to actually catch the the keys in his hand. Um, in such a small scene, after <laughs> taking forty odd takes, I just found that absolutely hilarious. Every time the key just both bouncing off. Oh, fuck, we've got to do that again. Um, aye. Um, so he catches the keys, and again, he drives out the precinct, uh, drives like an absolute dick, catches his, the back of the car on the ramp, um, and this is the first time we get the theme song. So this is, I love this as well, because it's like, we're, we're here, but it seems as if we've got here so quick. But this is now, this is almost like the superhero moment, you know, forget about Murphy, this is now Robocop. He's in his car, he's driving about, the theme song's playing, and then we get this sort of like quick, quick segment of he, he goes to three separate crimes um and i love i love the theme song i don't know if we want to have a a, a sort of a, a love in for the theme song at this point but the theme hits for me at a later point of the film um but what, what do you guys think of the theme Is i, it, love, um, I love it i yeah. love it basically yeah i, I think it's it's um i do think that, triumphant uh, isn't it? it's in some way it's kind of like well, I, I do think Polydorus did uh, surpass it with Starship Troopers, but I think mm-hmm. at this point it was his best theme. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I think it's one of the great hero themes out there where you've got things like the whole Superman theme. You've got, I mean, the Robo, you know what I mean? Like you have your superhero mm-hmm. themes from the 80s. Um, I think the Robocop theme stands up there as yeah. one of those for sure. It's very memorable. You put that on, you'd know what it was. Ah, hundred percent. He's he, he done it. He done it very clever as well, and I think it was a direction of her own where it's kind of almost it's kind of almost like medieval. You know, it's kind of almost like this. You'd expect it in a kind of medieval battle um, where it has got the major notes, but it's got the minor notes as well. I think what he done or he tried to do was make it more synth when it was Robocop that was either on screen or mentioned. 
but it would be more um, orchestral um, and strings when it's the human element. So when it's the when he's in the house, for example, um, and he's thinking back to his wife and son, it's it's very very orchestral. Um, and you know what's interesting? You talk about the medieval aspect. Robocop is very much a sort of a modern knight in terms yeah, of his, his armor. Budget. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. A knight in shining armor. Um, yeah. So where were we? So, uh, so yeah, the first couple of cool scenes. He stumbles on the the store, comes in. The guy's trying to rob the store. This is where we see the first. Uh, I'd buy that for a dollar. Everyone seems to think that 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 punchline is the funniest thing in the entire world. Um, yeah, quite not to love that. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, it's funny you should say. See when Nancy Allen first came in on set on Robocop. Paul Verone was filming those scenes and apparently she turned to her um, agent and said, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, who, who is this crazy Dutch guy? I thought this was about Robocop or uh, robots and stuff like that. And he's filming these like, kind of scenes. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Um, I heard, um, was um, was Paul Verhoeven, was he not quite well known for not only the dark side of humanity, but satire as well in his film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because he's the same guy that he also directed Basic Instinct, and yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it did very well, but yeah. maybe that's the darker side of things coming in rather than the humour. It was one of the reasons why, well, I think there was so many people they tried to get for the role of Robocop. Schwarzenegger would have been too big. Uh, Michael Ironside, these guys were just too big frame. I think Peter Weller came to the front because he was slight and stuff, but it was one of the reasons why Peter Weller wanted to do the film because he he admired Paul Verone as a director and his work. Type just, thing. It's funny, interesting on that because their relationship throughout the film was obviously quite. Oh, hot. Like, aye, aye. Um, so that they obviously, you know, he got fired midway through because he was complaining. I don't think of... he got. I don't think he got fired. Well, I think maybe he was creative. Yeah, you get threatened to get fired, um, and then eventually. Which is quite interesting because Paul Verone, he now understands where Peter Weller was coming from, um, because Peter Weller basically trained in the suit and the mime as in that it was like an American football team suit and the armor. But obviously, when the suit came to set, he got in it, and it's like I can't move in this, and I need to, I need to redo the movements because I think they were meant to be very kind of almost snake-like and a lot faster. Um, and Paul Verone was just basically, we need to shoot the, we need to shoot this, we need to get it done, do it. Um, and I think that's where the tension came from. The other interesting thing as well is Rob Bottin, who designed the suit. Him and Paul Verone basically stopped talking to each other for the entire production because of differences as well. Um, so there was proper. I don't think it was a very good kind of no environment to work yeah. in. Yeah, Peter Weller as well lost so much weight in terms of like water um because it was so hot where they were filming um there was yeah. a scene with the one of the explosions as well i read that the the explosions were so big the, the third one i think the final the one possibly man. yeah, yeah the, the, the actually actors had to move away quickly mm-hmm. and therefore they had to end up getting paid stuntmen um, fees as well because that yeah. was considered a stunt because there was <laughs> it was so big <laughs> it was so big the scene where they, the 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 street scene where they blow up all the shops and stuff they were actually they they took over that whole street and done it up but the fire police uh, the fire engine sorry fire department even uh, threatened to shut them down because the explosions and stuff like that were too big and 
and almost out of control. It it's sounds like bonkers. Wild West filmmaking. Like I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think there's yeah. a. I think I bet you there's so many things now in place where the film crews just couldn't get away with this kind of freedom to do these kind of yeah. things. I bet you. Well, the film crosses many genres, and I think you could see even parts of, it, especially the finale, there is a Wild West feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, 100%, like the kind of the the draw, um, you know, the whole showdown aspect, absolutely. Um, so Robo comes in, uh, this guy is absolutely, uh, can't believe what he's seeing, this robot man walk towards him, the bullets are flying off him, uh, Robocop decides to bend the gun of the of the crook, um, which I always find quite funny because I don't think that would happen. I think the guy would need to have been as strong as Robocop to hold the gun in place. Do you not think that? But anyway, yeah, I, yeah, there needs to be a, a sentiment of resistance. Aye, there's quite a bit of resistance. There's physics in there somewhere. Aye, I, I just get the impression if Robocop tried to do that, the gun would literally just like flop up and hit Robocop in the in like the chest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, first uh, you've got to suspend your disbelief at some point. Um, and then the guy tries to run out the shop, and Robocop clotheslines him, uh, flies into a, a vending machine, and like in typical Robocop or Murphy fashion, he just leaves him there. Or you, or you get the impression he just leaves this guy in that in that shop, which I find absolutely hilarious. Similar to poor Bobby at the start of the film. Yeah, like um, it kind of goes against the whole stopping crime thing. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, what, what was your prime directors again, Robo? Yeah. I suppose he's literally stopped the crime. There was nothing in his director to say clean up after you. Yeah, true. He probably, in a way, he probably has done it. I suppose, or maybe that's the mysterious director four that we don't know anything about yet. Mm. Huh? See what I've done there. Um, next stop, Robocop sees two goons trying to rape a woman. Robocop decides to shoot the guy's dick off through the uh, dress of the girl. Um, I think uh, I think this scene's quite good because obviously you've got the famous line, your move creep. Um, I think for me, this is, this is where it was good because it was the first time you actually kind of notice that he's, he, he, he's not a man. He is just a machine and he is doing a, a, the job of him. Because the girl comes up to him and tries to kind of give him a cuddle and she wants like she she wants like kind of you know comforted in a way and that's when robocop just says oh i've contacted the local rape center and she just kind of has this she kind of steps back and it's kind of like all right now that that scene i think steve we we briefly discussed discussed didn't we mr barry um robocop beforehand um and i was saying to you oh i can't remember if that scene's in the second or the first one that was a, maybe last week, was it, we were oh, talking about right, that? okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I saw that scene, I remember um, when I first, well, when I was a kid, I didn't really notice it, but I remember, you know, revisiting Robocop maybe when I was going out, my, my uh, drinking days, going out to the pub and putting it on and then being like, oh my God, like being like <laughs> viscerally affected <laughs> by that scene. I was like, oh my God. But the thing is, the actor that played the guy that was shot in the dick, he played that properly because that—that's uh, what you would do. You would lie on the ground and cry. <laughs> uh, just hold, just hold what's left of your fucking manhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, that guy literally stopped crime there because that guy's never going to be able to do it again, is he? I no, mean, he's no, there. You go. No, no. So, so no, was he was he left there to suffer all night? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you get that impression, didn't it? Or yeah. the, the, the rape crisis centre turns up to comfort this woman, and there's still this guy writhing in agony, holding his fucking shot out dick. Yeah, um, I love as well. Not only how automatic um, Robocop's announcement started, these criminals like, "Let the woman go. You're under yeah, arrest." Yeah, no, I like that, but 
I also enjoy the fact that obviously it kind of skips how he became Robocop, but it's like as soon as he's taken to the police station, it's like here's a police car and they just let him out on his own to just they trust him to just do whatever. It's like, yeah, there's no field tests at Robocop, is there? Yeah, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, he I mean, doesn't get just, a partner either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, on you go, out you go, see what, see what happens. Let's just see what happens. And okay. again, that's the kind of, I think that's the, you know, especially when you go back to the 209 uh, scene, their first product has just blown a member of their company to fucking smithereens. Their second product is let loose into the wild. Like, it's hilarious. It's so good. What I think, what I think, what I, what I really wanted Robocop to say when the girl was saying about oh rape, something like that. I wish Robocop said like if you think that sexual harassment, sweetheart, count yourself lucky you're not in a Michael Bay film. Uh, <laughs> so then after that we go to City Hall, I think, and I think this is where a politician has has shot somebody and he's kept he's he's keeping the mayor hostage. Robocop appears to fanfare. Oh, by the way, I should say I love the things the guy's saying because it's sort of ridiculous. He's like, I want oh, this, and I want this oh. car, you know, with the requirements. I want, I, I, want a, I want a car with shitty gas mileage. <laughs> who, <laughs> who asks for that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I want a, you know, if you were going to ask for a car, you'd be like, I want I want the best car on the market. You know, I want a fucking Bugatti Veyron or something. I want All the, the best cars have washed. shitty mileage, in fairness. <laughs> but the best thing, the, the advert will come, the, yeah. the 6000 SUX is an MPG of 8.2 <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's hilarious um, so Robocop comes up goes into thermal um, a fun fact here this wasn't actually CG they actually they didn't have the budget to do that um, so it was it was used by um, paint so the, 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 the actors were, were put in like kind of thermal paint or different colour paint and then it was like a kind of funky sort of thing done on the camera to, to make it look like thermal um, That's quite cool. Didn't realise that. Yeah. yeah. So Robo- Robocop um, decides to uh, burst through the wall, grab the guy, punch the guy at a second-story window, and then again, this is this is where I think this entire world is brilliant because d- immediately after that sort of action scene, we get another media break, and then it's it, then it's talking about Robocop. You know, who is he? What is he? Where did he come from? All that kind of stuff. Um, really good. Again, world building. Then talk about our conflict in Mexico. Um, and then we get the our, our second advert of the film, which is the Nukem advert, which is just so tonally wrong. It's just unbelievable. Pakistan is threatening my border. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. Uh, it's, it's totally insane. Uh, I love that. Like, it, it just it fits that era so well. I feel like the, the Grand Theft Auto games have a lot to... Like, I feel like that's where they, they got that. Uh, you know the adverts that would come on in the radio, like that sort of like just so you know. Obviously, it's it's taking what America's like, corporate America, and then just stretching it to this sort of nihilism. Yeah. That's so good. That's it, Buster. No more military aid. That's so good. Yeah. So then, um, obviously, there's no sexualization in this film, but this is where I, this is a scene where I kind of think there's a wee bit of sexual tension, right? Now, Fran mentioned it at the start. We're in the VIP section of the toilet. So Robocop has propelled Bob Morton to the point where he has a gold card to get into this, you know, toilet suite, right? And obviously, <laughs> and, you know, know, it's funny, the, the executive suite, and you open the, the door, it's suite suite a toilet. A fucking toilet. Um, and, it's, and you obviously see the, the feet in the, in the stall. Um, they're having a conversation. You see people around, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe they're talking about Dick Jones. He's in taking a shit. The guy turns around, he's pissed himself. And like Fran said, right, they have like a kind of 
they, they have this kind of moment, but you've got to remember that this guy's just done a shit, right? You kind of seem you'd like to think that he's 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 wiped, right? So then they have this kind of like back and forth, and it strokes his hair, you know, and you're kind of like, what what's going on here? And this is like, this is quite erotic. But see, after I thought about it, it's like Dick Jones has literally just wiped his shite all over Bob Morton's face. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's literally just covered them in his own shit and obviously grabbed his hair as well. Um, I mean, it's yeah. the ultimate power play, in fairness. Oh, 100%. I. It's like, I am the alpha male. I will literally mark you with my own shit. I mean, that's so, how it goes in all the top companies. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a it's just a culture, you know. Um, so very quickly, we jump on here. We have the Robo Dream. Uh, I quite like the dynamic of this, where most films he would he would kind of get a, a, a he would get an olive branch and then have maybe have a dream. But no, Robo just he he starts. This is when you you get the arc of him beginning to get his memory back. Um, he has the images of Bodica, I think, is shooting him. Um, stands up, goes out. Great theme music at this point, brilliant. Um, comes out his cage. Love the fact that he just sits in a, a like a metal lazy boy uh, anytime he's having some chill time as well. Um, but this is this, this is a poignant moment where Lewis sees him in the corridor and says, "Murphy, it's you." He kind of has this moment where he kind of steps back, and then it's like, "No, wait a minute, I've got a job to do. I need to go." Um, so he goes uh, and. It just so happens that he's in the right place at the right time at the right gas station where one of the guys that killed him is robbing a gas station. I kind of thought that was one of the times of this film where it was like, ah, oh, it's a wee bit, it's a wee bit um, convenient, shall we say? Um, but Robocop was the first line where he, he comes out of the car and he says, "Dead or alive, you're coming with me." Emil recognises him, and like we said at the start, we have this brilliant sort of set piece um, where the the Gas station explodes, Emil's uh, and his motorbike driving off, and we see Robocop emerge from the flames, shooting the uh, shooting the motorbike, uh, and ultimately arrests him. So, uh, brilliant scene. So where were we? So, uh, aye, best looking scene in the film probably. It's the one moment I, as I said earlier, where I think the director went, "Yeah, I'm just gonna aye, let I this. Mean, let, yeah. I'm just gonna show what I can do and how good mm. this film can look." And That's just so go good. all out, yeah. and it is beautiful as well. Um, the biker in silhouette as Robocop emerges is just stunning. Yeah, it's crazy. I think as well that that you've got to give uh, kudos to the stunt team because see when the see when he gets shot off the bike and he hits that car, like yeah, he, he hits the roof of that car and bounces off. You kind of go and man, somebody somebody must have hurt themselves during this production. <laughs> like seriously, seriously hurt themselves. Um, yeah. But it just it, again, it's just similar to the the whole theme up until now. They're just so committed. They're committed to the violence and the action, and it's just done so well. There's no half measures here. It's just all in. Um, yeah, love it. Uh, so obviously, with the uh, where does Robocop go now? He goes to the police records. Jackson. Uh, and it's amazing how most of these places have got this. It must be something in the future where. Rather than a USB, it's a it's a spike. It's like a seven inch spike that you you jack into most places, and it's so convenient that everywhere's got this that Robocop can access. Anyway, so he jacks in, sees Emil's that he's part of Ga- Bodicker's gang, 
sees that Alex J. Murphy was a victim, deceased, you get the music's playing in the background, really brilliant, gets the address, goes to the house, um, and like Gordon said earlier on, comes in, you get this really annoying computer real estate agent that's just shouting at him. Um, while Murphy's like remembering scenes, the TJ laser, the you know the, the the gun twirl, the Halloween, and then obviously his his wife in the um the bedroom. Music here is unbelievable. Like it's just building the scene. It's so dramatic, it's so emotional, um, and comes to a climax where Robocop like punches the uh, the computer. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the scenes where you're like, my God, I'm so glad he done that because that was so annoying. <laughs> you imagine you're walking through and you're trying to have this moment to yourself or trying to remember stuff and this thing's just shouting at you um, that was really good the police record scene is that the one where they realise that his spike is effectively where his middle finger is so someone tells him not to go into the police records bit and he sticks a spike up and it's like well, it's, the middle finger yeah I think that's like the kind of you know we were talking about like like blatant comedy I think that's one of the scenes where it's meant to su- it's meant to suggest that Robocop has given this guy the finger yeah use, using his excuse me using his spike type thing um quite funny but again it was like did it did it fit not sure not sure that kind of fit you know fitted the yeah it, it stuck out quite a lot yeah, yeah. um so Robocop then goes to the nightclub. Uh, Leon's here. Uh, An interesting fact, we actually see a close-up shot of Paul Verone dancing, and it's the only time he's cameoed in any of his films. Um, it's a very quick shot. Uh, Leon then decides to kick Robocop in the balls and, does, and quickly realises that Robocop is made of metal and, and breaks his foot. And this is where, God, and this is where I was saying, to so see when Robocop grabs his hair, like, his mouth, when he screams, his mouth is like so wide and it's like the biggest mouth I've ever seen and his eyes go really wide as well. That's Ray Wise's character. Ray Wise, yeah. He just, when he screams, his mouth just becomes like abnormally large. Because See, because it set up this how high they were, they were willing to take the violence in that film, I totally expected that he would rip out a huge chunk of his hair when he pulled it. Yeah, exactly. If you, you're, you're dragging. I would. I mean, I would have. Ex- I would. Nothing would shock me in that film after like the <laughs> some of the stuff in the first acts, and then obviously, oh, yeah. like you said, the 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 shooting the guy's cock. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so over the top violent. Um, but yeah, could you imagine if somebody was like, mm, I wasn't so keen on the hair pulling part? It's like, excuse me. Did you, you know, did have you, you see the rest of it? Have you seen yeah. it? Two or nine scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um so uh yeah, so Robocop leaves, then we go to Martin's flat and like he said before he was going into the VIP lounge, he's got models coming over. Um what this means is he's gonna be snorting snorting coke uh, off their tits. Um he goes to the door thinking it's the, the pizzas. Uh this is where Bodiker comes in, uh, and I love the line where he just doesn't see anything, he just says, Bitches leave, uh, and then walks out. Fun fact Paul Verone only um, he only acknowledged the characters and as their character name. So, for example, Peter Weller was only known as Robocop, but because these two girls didn't have names, Paul Verone just referred to them as the bitches when he was directing that scene, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, so, Bodiger plays the track to well, he shoots again, so graphic and the sound effects of the guns and the the bullets hitting Morton's legs. He shoots him, I think, like five or six times in both legs. And it's so harrowing. 
um, plays the scene uh, uh, the, the track of uh, Dick Jones basically saying, yep, yeah, I'm the bad guy, here's the plot twist, um, and Bodiker leaves the grenade and, and blows him up. So then we move on to, I think it's the Coke factory scene. Uh, I think for me, this is the best scene of the film for me. Um, this is where you finally see Robocop coming after Bodiker, who's killed him. He's got him in this coke factory, surrounded by all these guns. Um, kind of fun dialogue between Bodiker and the other. Is it Sally's name? Is he's like he must be like a, a another dealer. Um, and you've got the you know the guns, guns, guns. He puts his two fingers in the guy's wine, and the guy still drinks his wine and stuff like that. It's just it's just so sleazy. I love it. I had a bit of a Michael Bay feel when um when Bodiker's men all turned the guns on the the drug kingpin's men, and then his men turned their guns on them. <laughs> Aye. I, I, I like, again, it's just like that kind of... That felt like a Western, like, like a standoff. Yeah, yeah, it's like a power play as well, because Bodiker knows he's, he, Bodiker knows he's untouchable, um, and he doesn't care who he's talking to, you know what I mean? So it's all about this, like, oh, you give me a good deal, but actually he's the one that's in control, it's not this guy. I quite like that. Um, Robocop, I, pound. Well, I was just going to say, Scott, ultimately it's satisfying to see Robocop giving an absolute hiding to Bodiker and he's oh. left this kind of bloody mess of like blood and coke oh. and dirt and whatever else. And I honestly thought that was the moment where he was going to meet his end. But um, again, I guess it's um, it's a clever twist again that he gets out of that and comes back and he actually does a lot more in the film after that point. Yeah, and so this is a bit where Robocop pounds the door and then the door falls in, he comes in, he's scanning everyone. You see hear the music sort of building up. Um and I just I just think this is one of the best scenes in, in like probably one of my favourite scenes in movies ever, I would say. Because I think the music just hits right. This is Robocop's proper hero moment. And he's just in his element, he's doing all these like gun tricks where he's like like not looking at the guys, but he's like shooting under his arm and all that kind of stuff, and it's just it just looks so cool. I think this as a as a young guy, this was like the first time where I was like, oh my god, I can't believe how cool this character is and looks. Bullets are just bouncing off him. He's just standing there. Um, yeah, it's so good. But like, and yeah, at the same time, that scene wasn't completely over the top. Again, I think there are some directors who have taken that scene and made it. I don't know, last three times longer, yeah. made a set bigger or kind of added massive explosions or lots and mm-hmm. lots of deaths, but it it was succinct. It did what it needed to do, and it was just in a kind of warehouse type thing. It yeah. wasn't an yeah. overblown, overdramatic Ken Adams-style setting. Yeah. But that kind of intimacy, the small setting, and it just bang, 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 it was, it was slick, and I think that's what makes it so cool. It wasn't yeah. completely over the top. I think also what I find interesting about that scene is that um, you sort of see the weaselly side of side of Clarence. Yeah, that you know he actually is a coward. Uh, he's about, you know, he's he's getting he's getting fucked up here by this machine. Yeah, and, I, and he's I, like, there's no way out. So and, I'm going to. It kind of shows the difference between Murphy and Clarence in the sense that Murphy, at no point, actually cried and begged for his life. Yeah. At the start of the film, whereas this guy. He does. He does do. He does do yeah. that. He does right. beg for his life because because it's the difference between 
It's the difference between someone who is has resolve and is a, a you know has some sort of courage or dignity about them, and mm. someone who's just a weaselly criminal scumbag. And that's the thing is that Clarence does kind of screw things up. That's the point where the film turns because that's where Robocop slash Murphy realizes what's actually going on here. Yeah, and, and, no, and right. that's that's the turning point of the film. Yeah, when Clarence admits that he's got well, it's his insurance policy, the, the obviously the, yeah. the connection to OCP and Jones. Again, though, very very clever because Bodiker kind of almost knows that Robocop can't he, he can't really do anything with him. Does that make sense? Like Robocop's not going to kill him because it, it's like, or maybe that's a power play for OCP. But as soon as it, you know, you can kind of tell Robocop wants to keep fucking Bodiker up. But his directives kick in, and I think it's the one where it's uh, uphold the law that starts the flash. Yeah, and that's where he goes. Yes, that's right. I, I'm a cop. So then it's like, oh, oh shit. Well, it's interesting because it's the fight between the machine and machine. the man. Yeah. But then again, at the same time, Murphy was was also a good cop, as he said at the start of mm-hmm. the film. Good cops have to be someone your kids can look up to. So you you do wonder how much of the message on the screen is the machine, or how much of it is actually. Mm-hmm. The, is him reminding himself yeah. I mean what I wonder, is it I wonder if it the up pulled the law flashed up and he shot the guy in the dick well you know that, <laughs> <laughs> what, what directive does that fall in I think I think, <laughs> it, I think it, yeah there's something kind of old testament about that yeah. bit of justice there it's like kind of eye for an eye dick for a dick or whatever <laughs> but yeah there's this element of um, <laughs> still biblical phrase goes uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they edited that for for kids in religious school, so it wasn't so offensive. But uh, it's that it's that kind of idea of, you know, there's 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 the question throughout the film of what is justice? Yeah. Is is natural justice justice? Is justice of the law? Is that justice? You know, the police department itself and no doubt the courts are owned by corporations. What is justice mm. in this world? I tell you, I can I can actually probably sense Mr. Barry's frustration over here because we're so going into so much granular detail with this film, but there's so <laughs> much to talk about. But the I thing mean, is, but the thing is, Fran, see, because I know it's annoying, Steve. I am. I, I want to go even more granular. That's the thing. I mean, well, should, well, we, should we do it second by second? I mean, we well, can do uh, that. Yeah, yeah me, me and Steve already got agreement. He's editing this one, and I'm doing the film catch up one. I'm certainly quite happy with that. So. Far. <laughs> 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 this still yeah, might I, this still might end up a twenty minute podcast. So, <laughs> well, if you if it's not recorded half of it, then yeah. uh, it might be. Well, you yeah. you'll just cut out everything except the dick for a dick bit. Yeah, aye, <laughs> you'll hear me say, yeah, he wiped the shite all over his head. And dick then, for a dick. Dick for a dick. <laughs> That's Robocop. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> That's Robocop for you. Uh, yep. That's, what, that, that's the takeaways from the uh, movie. Yep. Um, no, no, I think yeah, the, the points are, are so valid. And again, I think this is this is what this film does. It it doesn't go into so much detail, but it, it basically just gives you OCP, big massive conglomerate company who is now own, who now owns the police department, and it's they're corrupt. So if the people at the top are corrupt, but are trying to they're kind of blaming Detroit's poison on crime, they're committing crime. It's just it's crazy. Again, so ahead of its time. Uh, so Robocop throws Spodiker through some windows, uh, takes him to the police station, uh, and this is a really funny scene. Robocop says, book him. Spodiker spits on uh, the chief's uh, diary, I think it is. And I think that I think that scene's improved. 
I love how he spits up blood though, because it's, oh, it's as if uh, it's an odd to Robocop's just totally fucked he, him he's, up. Uh, he's just fucked me up. So, uh, you think he calls him a cop killer, doesn't he? He says, he's a, cop, as a killer. cop killer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, then we get we get quite a quick change, don't we, to um, OCP again, don't we? Robocop basically just drives to the OCP, and uh, during during Robocop going to the main building we kind of get the segment where Dick Jones is on the phone and that's clearly the phone call that Boddicker's been allowed to make because Jones is saying, you've really screwed up here. Um, so that that's clearly him talking to Boddicker. So obviously we get in, we get the... This is a kind of different song. This is kind of more of a, like, um, I don't know, it's almost as if it's like Robocop, is, he is going and he's winning. You know, you've got that, it's like a really grand march. Dun, dun, Duh. You know, it's very kind of major. But you know, interestingly enough, talking about that, it's almost like someone crammed in Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return <laughs> of the Jedi into one film because one film, eh? it's got the fake. This is like the Empire Strikes Back segment where he's kind of caught out by this directive, isn't he? Yeah, he thinks he's going to go in, and he thinks he's nailed him, but actually, he's he's not. He's and he and. The, the the one thing, I suppose the one thing in this scene is, is that Jones is obviously very confident and that kind of stuff, but when the directive kicks in, Jones does suggest that it results in complete shutdown. And obviously it doesn't shut down, you know what I mean? So it's like, for me, I, I wish Jones kind of just said something like, it would result in malfunction. But then again, that's the man fighting with the machine. So is there an element of Murphy's fighting against the conditioning? Yeah, I suppose you're right because Jones he 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 does actually say still a little fight in you, um, and Robocop obviously picks his gun out but drops it and then eventually just kind of like he, he can't resist the 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 system. I suppose you're right. Um, Jones then unleashes the uh, super efficient killing machine at two nine on Robocop, uh, and we have a pretty cool uh, action scene here. Robocop gets pretty beaten up. Um, and we talk about special effects. Did any of you notice when Ed 209 fires one of the missiles, you actually see the string? <laughs> I didn't notice that. You can actually, if you look closely, you can oh, actually brilliant. see you can see the string that they used to. Well, to... Maybe, maybe that was just OCP's like cheap like, <laughs> uh, products. Like the missile actually does have a string on it. Ed 209 so bad he's got string. Ed 209's to... getting a bit of a mouthful. So just refer to his Ed, I think. Oh, yeah, Ed. Yeah, Eddie. Yeah. Ed. Ed's a good character. <laughs> you know, what, what's really interesting is Ed, when he falls down the stairs, right, he screams like a pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love it, man. I just love how um, it's the most um, fearsome killing machine ever known in the universe, yeah. but its ultimate downfall is it can't get up and down stairs. Yeah. I just <laughs> love that. A 15-month-old son trying to walk down a <laughs> It's so funny. It's so Do funny. You know, there's a, there's a fan theory that Ed is uh, that they did it with, like, the brain of an animal, and that's why it behaves like that, that it's got the, the brain of, like, a pig or something inside it, and that's why when it falls on its back, it's screaming. It well, yeah. the, the, the sound effect is an actual pig. Is a, the, roar, the roar was a jaguar, and this, that is an actual pig squealing. Oh, well, there you go. But, yeah, yeah. I, I always quite like that fan theory that there was some kind of secret sort of... Animal... Animal brain in there. Yeah. yeah. Because um, the uncertainty it shows when it's the, the, there is an element of life to it because like when it's putting its foot out to go into the stairs, it's not yeah, like it's not it's sure. Not, it's uh, uh, it's yeah, not it's like a machine would yeah. be. It's like, mm, do I go for this? And mm. but, and when it's trying to get up, it's showing anger. Yeah. yeah. Aye. 
Aye, it's kind of like why why can't I get up? Mm-hmm. Anger and fear. Yeah. So but actually, um, I just forgot there is actually several Eds, I suppose. Is there not? Well, is there not at least three? Because there's one that the Robocop himself eliminates when yeah, he's going into the headquarters the door, yeah. there. And there's, I'm sure there's another one up the stairs, and there. That's maybe the one that can get down the stairs. Um, <laughs> but I guess uh, I, I, for me, I would probably. I always took it that that Ed Two Hundred Nine was the Ed Two Hundred Nine that obliterated Kenny. I don't. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. what I took it from. It obviously doesn't. It doesn't suggest that there's three, but you're right. There's definitely more. Than so, one. Um, Scott, what do you think the the what do you think the the, the character arc for that Ed Two Hundred Nine is then in the movie? So it kills Kenny, and then it's falling downstairs. I mean, what do you think that's telling us about it, that particular Ed? Any thoughts? That it's. Uh... Well, I mean, it's like it sounds like the it sounds like the ultimate, um, the ultimate cop, really. Like but it's um, is, is it not going to come across a lot of day to day situations where where there's going to be a few stairs involved? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be the most efficient. Machines that maybe need to change something. that there's like that's it. I mean, there's over, also the over two hundred floors of OCP's building. I know, and, and uh, to protect OCP. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean, imagine as well. I mean, it's not exactly the kind of cop. I mean, is that supposed to replace all cops? So, like, say someone phones up about their neighbour, like, part like takes a parking space or something like that, like some domestic like, <laughs> dispute, and this massive war machine shows up to try. Well, like, and, well, uh, what is, what's the phrase that Jones says? He says urban pacification. So, higher. is that is that fucking street level urban urban pacification? You know what I mean? Or picture yeah. a picture a Nakatomi Plaza diehard situation, right? So, um, we don't have John McClane, but we need to. The terrorists have taken over this um place like several floors up yeah. in this massive skyscraper. Um, you can't use the elevator because they'll see the elevators going yeah. up. So you're gonna have to go up the stairs. Um, well, yeah. I don't know about that. I've got a bit of an issue with stairs. Oh, you see, I tell you what, exactly. Tell you I what. mean, Ed two hundred nine as well. Like, say a cat was stuck up a tree. I mean, it would just destroy <laughs> the tree. <laughs> well, there's that newsreel shot of Robocop meeting the school kids. If yeah. that was Ed two hundred nine, <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't be able to do Aye. any community work. No, no, he was just he was just staring at them. Um, <laughs> it's not quite. Obviously, obviously, no, no future spoilers, but um. I think Robocop 2's media break shows an Ed 209, his foot has fallen down a manhole. So that <laughs> that, that, that kind of continues the, the bizarre, you know. But it also shows how they keep using them. Yeah, That's the exactly. crazy thing. It's hilarious. It's like, it's clearly, clearly yeah. doesn't work. I mean, imagine it's imagine it was the the you know police Scotland. I mean, think how much manpower goes into football games. Ah, you can get into the stadium, but you can get up the stairs to get into the stand. Ah, yeah. that's fine. Just control <laughs> them, fire rockets from the bottom of the stand. I was going to say, if there's a pitch invasion, <laughs> Ed Two Hundred Nine just stands at the corner and just blows people away. <laughs> <laughs> just fires into the ground. That's hilarious. Doesn't Dick Jones make reference? Is it in the the toilet scene where he says, "I know they don't work. I just I've got a twenty five year military it's all, contract. It's all about the contract. Totally. It's all about the money. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. yeah, we know it doesn't work. It doesn't matter that it doesn't work. It yeah. just yeah. it's just the fact that we yeah we're getting paid a shitload for it. That's it. All it, all it ever but comes down to. Um, and so, you know what? That's every corporation ever then and now. They all yep. do the same thing. They put out things that don't work and they don't give a damn. Yeah, so you know your iPhone's going to die after two years, but uh, you'll buy another one. So, well, that's it. That's it. Uh, do you know what? This was a documentary. It wasn't a movie. There you uh, go. Robocop <laughs> the documentary. But, uh, yeah, but that's the thing that buried, among, buried inside all of the sci-fi aspects and the comedy aspects and the craziness is stuff that, you know, it, that there's, there's stuff in there. 
to to kind of walk away with and think about and go, hmm. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So uh, Ed209 falls down the stairs, schools like a pig, Robocop uh, walks out and he is confronted by his own colleagues, I suppose you would need to call them. Uh, Jones has ordered Lieutenant Hitchcock to destroy him. So he orders his team to fire on Robocop and then they shoot them to shit. Uh, Robocop sort of starts to crawl away. And again, very poignant, the music kicks in. It's like now the company who has built this man, who's basically taken his identity away from him, is essentially being, it's happening again. You know, the, even the company's turning on this 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 conflicted person in this suit and he's probably thinking, what the fuck is going on here? Um, he then sort of kind of crawls away, falls down a flight of stairs. In fact, no, sorry, it's in the parking lot, so he, kinda, he, he sort of falls down different levels. Um, finally, Lewis shows up and Robocop says to Lewis, where the fuck have you been? Uh, he puts her in the car. Uh, Lewis helps him up, puts him in the car, and then they drive off. And genuinely, I think it goes straight into the... I think this is where we get the 6000 SUX advert with a dinosaur. Yeah. And genuinely, when I was a young young guy, young kid, I genuinely thought there was a dinosaur within the world of of Robocop. Like, I genuinely was like, what, is Robocop going to be fighting a, a T-Rex? <laughs> like, I didn't get the, this is an advert until it actually became an advert. Um, and it's just hilarious. Again, stop motion done. Um, pretty well with the dinosaur. Maybe that's what Jurassic Park would have looked like. Who knows? Yeah, I can't imagine that would have the same fear factor. <laughs> uh, we so got another one, one that time forgot than Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah. Um, and again, this is where and an interesting fact about the the six thousand SUX, the cop cars that they used were the Ford Taurus, and the direct drift competitor of the Taurus was the Pontiac six thousand. So Paul Verone thought that was funny and he said, well, let's call it the 6000 SUX or the 6000 Sucks. So it was a wee kind of fun ode to that. Um, we get the media break. Is this media break? Do they talk about Robocop? I can't remember. I can't remember what they um, talk about or what the bulletins are in that. But anyway, we skip to uh, Bodiker goes back to the destroyed Jones's office. Uh, Bodiker tries to chat up who is actually uh, Kurtwood Smith's uh, current wife, the receptionist. Um, he's all really creepy, sticks his chewing gum on her thing and asks her on a date. And again, it's just like, man, you need to work on your chat up lines, Clarence, because that's just that's just not right. <laughs> Does not say something um, like, look at my face. No, he says, um, not to the receptionist, he's like, but when I'm done, I've got some free time. Ah, Maybe you a... could uh, fit me in. <laughs> She's <laughs> just like that. I'm like, I, I get a Jack Nicholson vibe from him. I a wee bit. When, when, when this is, um, but you're right, when he goes in and Dick Jones is giving him a hard time, and it's like, take a look at my face, Dick. That's it, yeah. He tried to kill me. <laughs> um, he's, a bit to uh, he's a bit torn in terms of should I keep going on, but Dick Jones offers him all this, you know, oh, there's a, when we build this new Detroit, the thing that we're saying we're going to stop, we're actually going to be flaunting because I'll offer you prostitution, fucking all of that stuff, and that's all going to be yours. Um, so obviously Boydicker's like, yep, yeah, I'm in. We'll need some heavy weaponry. Uh, weaponry. And uh, Dick Jones uh, offers them the Cobra assault cannons, state-of-the-art, bang, bang. Uh, so we cut to the steel mill. Lewis has brought uh, Robocop, he's sort of drill bit to take his helmet off. 
and this is the first time that we actually see Murphy. This is the first time we see Murphy's face ever since he's he's uh, became um, Robocop. Um, quite a touching scene. Uh, Murphy sort of says, "I can feel them, but I can't remember them," and it's kind of left at that. But I think the special effects of the of the the makeup on Murphy's face is just unbelievable. Um, I thought yeah. that was flawless, considering oh, what the, some of the rest of the film's effects yeah. and stuff. That looked really, really realistic. I think it was yeah. the it was the correct decision as well to for quite a lengthy period at the end of the film to to have Murph, Murphy's uh, real face exposed. It worked. Yeah. It wasn't. I think it worked because when you guys touched upon this earlier, like there's a thing in modern films they feel they have to reveal things like that. But I, I just feel it brought that kind of, it returned us to the human element and to Murphy's real. So I just, I just think it would have got a bit plain and boring if for the, the whole film from from when he's conceived, if he just always had the helm on, you, yeah. all you see is his, his jaw. It just, it wouldn't really have worked. Yeah. I think uh, you needed that then. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent agree. And again, it's the story arc of him it's the visual of him becoming Murphy again. Was and, and yeah, yeah. You know, note as well that again, it does it so much better than the the Robocop remake because we get this condensed into the end of the yeah. uh, towards the end of the film, where there's this exchange between so much is said that doesn't need to be said. Like there's the part where um, uh, his um, what's his partner called again? Um, Lewis. Lewis, yeah, Lewis. yeah, yeah, Lewis, right. So Lewis obviously holds up the mirror, he, he looks in the mirror, and then there's a part where she's kind of about to reach out and touches touches his shoulder or something, and he says, you know, leave me alone. And that's, and you know, you don't need more than that. You don't need, what that says everything that needs to be said there. Is that that's that's the human speaking. And you know what else is interesting? The sort of robotic tone of his voice is gone. Yeah. The... Sort, um, the 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 effect and the inflection goes yeah. away at yeah. this point. It, as I say, this is this is the man talking now. This is this is Murphy. Um, it's done so well, honestly. It's so good. And by the way, it's, I always find it so weird that it's my second name that we're talking the whole way through this. Murphy, <laughs> Murphy does this. This is a man talking here. I'm like, yep, goddamn right. By the way, that's it. Um, yeah. So Lewis, uh, yeah. So we leave that scene. We jump to the. Again, it's another scene where Emil's sitting watching the I Buy That for a Dollar. He realises that the town has now gone to absolute shit. People are looting and stuff, so he smashes the window, turns the volume up, and we hear I Buy That for a Dollar. And then Emil is just besides himself with laughter after that line is said. The rest of the gang come. Uh, this is when Bodiker introduces the Cobra Assault Cannon, uh, blows up the other guy's 6000 SUX because it's the same car as Bodiker, which I thought that was hilarious. Um, he doesn't really seem to mind. He gets his new gun and they blow this sort of town uh, to, to pieces. Um, they get the ping that he's in the old steel mill, so they uh, they all head to the to the steel mill. Uh, is it now? Yeah, I think it's now that we Robocop sort of wakes up, he looks at the baby food um which I think is hilarious at the fact that to sustain Robocop's organic system, he he eats baby food. Like Johnson references it, oh, it tastes like baby food. Actually, Lewis goes and just buys him baby food. Um, <laughs> make any sense if he's if he's largely robotic? Why does he need food? Well, he's, he's got, got his brain got and his skin, and hasn't he? Yeah, it's it's the I think it's the brain and the nervous system. And, uh, and so he's got 
He's got a digestive system as well, though. Yeah, I mean, I, no, I, don't, I would imagine it probably. They did say at the start the digestive system is really basic, so it's probably yeah. just like processing the nutrients out, and then it will go into just just to keep those bits living, basically. Aye, aye, pretty much. But again, the film, thank God, doesn't, doesn't go into too much detail. Yeah, about yeah. It. that's kind of the point. Like it, it feels like <laughs> it shows that enough of fucking Robocop's Robocop intestine and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, in a modern, well, obviously they didn't do this and whatever, but I mean, you could imagine like the over amount of detail it would be like, this is the canister where Robocop's waste material comes from and he takes yeah. out a wee thing and puts it in a bin or something. Aye. Like, it doesn't Aye. bother with that, thank God. Or, or make it and it'd be like a, um, and because it's been processed in Robocop, it's now nuclear, he can use this as a weapon to blow people up. You know, something yeah. fucking ridiculous. Like yeah, in Robocop, he'd be like, eat shit, criminal. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's the stuff you maybe don't need to see. It's like um, Harry Potter having a shower in the morning. We don't really need to see that. Well, well that's it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine, imagine watching, like, for instance, the series The Queen or whatever, and then you see her in the morning going for a poo and all that, and then brushing her teeth. Like, yeah, you don't see these bits, but then again, they do it for the characters that it matters for. Like, um, what's his name? The guy at OCP, um, where you do see him in there because it's. Because some characters you want to see that, or not want to, but you some it, it serves a function for them to be brought down to that level. Yeah. yeah. Whereas there's others, it's not so much. I can't believe we've got into this detail of toilet behaviour in films. I mean, my God. Well, to be fair, Dick Jones wipes shit all over Bob Martin's face. I mean, uh, we're only talk, we're talking about the film. Yeah, that's you true. I mean? uh, that's true. Shit and baby food. Right. <laughs> exactly. Dick for a dick. Uh, so <laughs> Robo's targeting system's messed up after he gets he's been battered by Eddie, um, and Lewis helps him, um, and that's when they hear Bodiker and his gang uh, have arrived. Uh, Bodiker says to his gang, "No fancy shit, just kill it." And that's where Robocop picks up the mirror, which I think is meant to be the mirror he was looking at himself in. Throws that down, distraction, and then he shouts, "Looking for me." theme song starts to play in the background and it's like right this is and this is for me it's like proper hype this is like proper hype moment for me the music starts playing he's now murphy again so he's he's kind of got the best of both worlds he's got his instincts back as a man but he's he knows he's a machine and um, it's poetic as well because it it's at the yeah. same place the steel mill the same is, people yeah. um you know, explosions going off everywhere, the car chases. I mean, it's just pyrotechnic, just glory going on everywhere. And, you know, I do have to point out one of my favourite scenes in the entire film is <laughs> Emile's uh, driving <laughs> to the toxic waste thing and then merging. So, if, I don't know, Scott, if you want to tell, talk a wee bit about oh, that. Cause I yeah, love so, um, so Robo shoots one of the goons i think it's joe the guy with the maniacal laugh yeah also, if this up. i was going to say he also makes a really funny noise when he dies as well <laughs> when he gets shot um uh emil gets in the van he spots and then this is the scene what you were saying uh, fran so he spots robocop tries to go to run him over Robocop uh, shoots the glass, um, which i don't know if you have noticed this but robocop's gun fires three shot bursts um, which yeah. is actually, it's actually a real gun, by the way. In fact, we should, maybe just a, a quick segue on the guns. These are all real guns. So the Cobra assault cannon is an act, was an actual real gun. It just wasn't um, it, it just wasn't signed off by the military at that time. 
they made a few minor adjustments, but it, it is actually a a, a gun. Um, <laughs> and all of the bad guys had all distinct shotguns as well. Like they all had different shotguns, stuff like that. Um, so Ro- anyway, Robocop's gun, it can either be changed to fire a one-shot or a three-shot burst. I, th- I think there's something like nine bullet holes hit the van's window. And you're kind of going, he just fired that gun once. Do you know what I mean? There should have been three bullets, but anyway, I digress. Uh, he, Emil's van, obviously, he ducks, goes straight into the toxic waste. Robocop does a wee uh, skip to and uh, to the side. Um, and like you said, Fran, this is when poor Emil uh, emerges. Um, and this is what you get when you try and intimidate somebody that's doing simple math at a gas station. Yeah. This I mean, the, I mean, the thing is, the, I mean, the, the body horror aspect of this is strong, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean his skin is skin, literally uh-huh. melting off his bones. It's uh-huh. hilarious. That, yeah, that, that, this, and, this that, is and that sort of, uh, kind of going about that sort of uh, noise, like it's like his lungs have been destroyed and he can't uh, even, like he's swallowed, he, the guy has swallowed this uh, stuff. Literally swallowed it. Um, but it's, and again, it's, it's kind of going back to that, where it, this is ridiculous, it is so over the top, it's unbelievable. But doesn't, like, he, doesn't he bump into the other guy and the guy's uh, like, get your hands off me, man. No, don't, don't touch, touch me, me, man. man. Uh, doesn't he essentially sequence. kill that guy once, as soon as he even gets close to him? The radiation probably coming from him, he's essentially sentenced him to death. Well, aye, pretty much. Um, but I, I just <laughs> I just think that Paul Verone, I just think he went like, ah, fuck it, I'm committed. We need to commit to this. So this is so over the top, it's unbelievable, and it might look a wee bit kind of corny. Um I still think it works, and again, I think it works because they just commit to the the gore and how this guy dies is just amazing. Um, so the next scene, obviously, we see Lewis chasing after Bodiker in the car. They're having a car chase. Um, you're right, uh, Emil not bumps into Leon, played by Ray Wise, and again, we see Leon, uh, Ray Wise's eyeballs go so wide and his mouth go so wide. He has the biggest mouth ever. Um, he says, get away from me. Bodiker looks, he's looking back at, to see where Lewis is and unbeknownst to him that poor Emil was just like staggering, he's like the hunchback of Notre Dame just in front of Bodiker's <laughs> car and he gets fucking and he just gets obliterated you just see this guy pop like a zip, <laughs> it's hilarious I and if you, look, if you look closely the only part of his body that's actually intact is his head you just see his head bounce off. Now, yeah, his head goes flying over. Now, one one thing I have to say, right, is uh, kudos to Rob Botton, his name is, right? This yeah. was the special effects guy. So he's done things like, well, he did Total Recall. He did Basic Instinct. He's done Seven, Fight Club, um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's got, he's, he's um, uh, got a special achievement at Academy Awards as well. Two BAFTAs, two Saturn Awards as well. Um, this guy is is amazing. He's a real deal. So well, he's he, he passed away in twenty fourteen. So he's not with us any longer. But you know, very much, um, you know, if you think about John Carpenter, um, he's worked with John Carpenter. Obviously, there's there's this sort of element of uh, that that kind of special effect, that sort of makeup effect, special effect genius like this guy has to be pointed out. I think. You know, because that effect there is probably one of the quintessential examples of body horror in cinema. Yeah. Without a doubt. Aye, aye. 
So, so I just wanted, I just wanted so, to give a shout out to Rob, Rob in there, Mister Botton. Well, we said at the start it was it was him that designed the the suit, the the Robocop suit. Um, and as I say, him and Verhoeven didn't speak for the entire. They had a disagreement over the suit, and they didn't speak for the entire production. And and it continued years after until I think Paul Verhoeven asked him back for Total Recall. Um, and they they sort of think of the differences there, so because you can you can see his fingerprints all over the sort of uh, yeah. total recall when they sort of go out outside the dome. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when he he <laughs> Schwarzenegger's face is like <laughs> bulging and his eyes are popping out. Yeah, all that sort of thing. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. So good. Anyway, back to this. So, uh, poor Emil gets uh, exploded, and um, Bodiker sort of goes off like a kind of cliff into a sort of ditch or a ravine, whatever. Um, he then pops out, shoots uh, Lewis a couple of times. She falls down as well. He's about to kill her. Bye bye, baby. Um, and that's when you hear Robocop uh, shout Clarence. Um, and this is where, again, Pulverone just we talked about the gas station scene I think some of the scenes here the way he shot it Robocop walking on water he does reference that it's meant to be an ode to Jesus where he gets well, it crucified as the resurrection and then this is his moment He's it wasn't deliberately done um, but it, it fits um, and this is where he's about to say I'm not arresting you anymore I'm just going to shoot you Bodiker notices uh, Leon up, this, up in the top so he's like I'm going to stall him Leon finally drops the, um, it's just like metal. Um, uh, I don't know. It's, it must be like a construction suit or it's obviously steel mill. So, drops a whole ton of metal on Robocop. Thinks he's gone. Uh, sort of, Lewis shoots the sort of place where Leon is. So he's gone. But also, do, yeah. Do you notice how the enemies not only get killed, they get destroyed. They get blown up. Aye. They get yeah. exploded. Aye. Um. Yeah. So Bodica realises Robocop's still alive, goes over, gets like a metal pole, starts to beat Robocop, he panties away his arm, finally sees an open and drives this through, which appears to be Robocop's heart, and, and Robocop lets out such a horrid blood-cuddling scream here. Um, it's so good. Um, then we get the line, Sayonara Robocop, uh, and Robocop realises, oh shit, see that spike that I'm using to jack into computers? I stab this guy in the neck. Now, uh, also, that's another thing I wanted to point out is that when we get to the later scene, you'll see that he uses both. He uses the same spike for yep. both to get rid of both enemies. But you, yep. when he does it to Jack and later, it's still got the blood in it. The blood die. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so Bodiker's gone. Uh, initially, the scene, uh, Bolverone wanted him to stab Bodiker through the eye, but that was. Uh, Kai Bosch by the, the film company for the R rating, so I decided to just go for the neck. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but see when Bodiker is writhing in agony and the blood spotting out his neck, you can actually see a member of the crew just standing in the background watching. <laughs> then you, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a guy. There's just a guy just standing, staring at the back, and it's just like, wow. Well, my my head cannon <laughs> for that is it's just a member of the public just watching. <laughs> <laughs> just some guy who's got like this affinity for old steel mills. He's like a photographer, and yeah. he's just like watching this. He's standing there. He's like, I picked the right day to come and get some photos. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a photo of a guy exploding on a car. <laughs> and that guy got blown up with a rocket. He got blown up. He's fucking dressed like a robot. I don't know what's going on. I know he's pure running his way to get to the newspaper to hand in his photos. <laughs> 
so yeah, so then Murphy shouts over to Lewis. She says I'm messed up, and that's when Murphy says they'll fix you. They fix everything. Uh, Robo then drives to OCP, and this is where we see uh, one of the many Ed Two O Nines. Ed Two O Nine, obviously. Again, I think it's hilarious as well that it tries to have that conversation, but Robocop's just like, nah, I can't be bothered with this. I'm just going to blow you to pieces. Really funny scene. The Ed 209 then kind of pops about for a bit. The whole top's half's blown off, and you kind of, it's almost like a burp. Uh, the, the, the bottom half almost burps green stuff, and um, the leg kind of, kind of twitches, um, which I thought that was quite fun. Uh, Robocop interrupts another board meeting. Uh, says that Dick Jones is wanted for murder. The old man says, what's your evidence? And like you said, Fran, Robo gets his spike out, he's still covered in blood. Spikes in, you get the, um, I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Um, the only sort of, the only thing, I've, again, it's a goof at this point, it's like, it's clearly a totally different recording from the recording that Robocop saw in Dick Jones's office. Because at one point you're kind of like, I'm pretty sure Ed 209 walks in front of Dick Jones when he's saying that. Yeah, but that's it. And, you know, this scene has one bit that I do think the stop motion fails completely, which is the the death of Dick Jones. So when he gets gets shot and blown out the window, doesn't he? But but before that, the old man, because he can't kill him because of the directive, because he works for OCP, he takes the old man hostage. Um, and he's trying to get out of the building because he knows he has to get away from everybody else even if Robocop can't kill him but then the old man fires him which yeah. gives Robocop the opening now that, that stop motion when he falls out the window why they didn't have it where they just got um, Ronnie like like filmed from above because the thing is the stop motion was superimposed onto the scene yeah so so they could have very easily superimposed Ronnie's like on that if they had a stunt scene where like they filmed him falling onto some little uh, like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just that kind of. Um, there's a term for that scene. There's a there's a there's a saying for that sort of death scene where it's like the scene from above and you see the person fall at kind of like slow motion. Um, I don't know if it's Hitchcock that that first done it, but um, yeah, I don't know why they used the dumb. They they basically you're right, Fran. They used a it's a what do you call it? Stop like motion a puppet, really? It's a puppet, yeah. And his arms just look so long. And it, it, it kind of takes away from that moment where even when I was a young young boy, I was kind of like, why is his arms so uh, long? I mean, what's incredible is that earlier in the film, they had the real stunt with the guy getting thrown out the mayor's window. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, so they could have... I think they probably thought it would look quite impressive, but it doesn't. It just looks no, like... It, it looks like yeah. a fake thingy. So Al was kind of... Like so blank that in my head. Basically. Yeah, it's, it's probably like we were saying earlier with Steve in terms of the the Ed Two Hundred Nine. This is the most egregious sort of sort of effects, and that that doesn't. I I don't think it hit with me when I first it watched quite it. Land. It certainly doesn't last now. Ironically, yeah. it doesn't quite land, given the fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yeah, and I don't know if it's about that. It's followed up immediately afterwards with that thumbs up. Nice. So I well, thought that was really funny because that, yeah. that, that guy's clearly thinking this is great, all the guys above me in the chain have been murdered Now he does appear again that guy, that character the, the old man No, well, the, what... um, the, um, 
what's his name the guy that gave the thumbs up to himself oh, yeah. Johnson. yeah johnson's uh-huh. in he's in uh, unfortunately in uh two and i think he's in three as well yeah for him uh so the old man uh so we wrap things up uh and the old man turns to robocop and he says nice shooting son what's your name and i'm getting chills even now thinking about it he just turns gives a wee smile and says murphy and then just turns and walks away. Boom. And that Robocop titles. Is how, yep, that is how you end a film. Yeah. Right. Now, the stop motion faux pas aside, that's how you end a film, right? You, you, you that is a, a perfect character arc. Murphy starts the film as Murphy and he ends the film as Murphy. Yeah. We get the hero's journey all the way through of that film. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think they could ever have topped that. Now, I actually quite like Robocop 2. I don't really like Robocop 3, but I like Robocop 2. But you would never... It's almost as good in some ways as, like, <clears throat> well, in the Robocop franchise, it's sort of the Star Wars analogue. It's that standalone film that is that is almost perfect. It's it's uh, it's there. 100%. I think it's a, it's a it was a film so ahead of its time. I think even people at the time probably didn't realise what they were watching. Um, I think it was probably, first and foremost, I think a lot of people, like I did when I was a young guy, just think, oh, super cool. We've first seen it as Terminator, now we're seeing a robot robot cop, cool gun, great, great lines. You know, it's the action that you see first. But as I say, it's like, now that you're older, you're seeing so much in this film. It is just insane. And I think Peter Weller actually now... um, I don't think he, he obviously returned for the sequel, didn't do the third film. I think it was a period of time where he, he, prob- he probably wasn't that, you know, didn't really like to be sort of typecast as, oh, there's Robocop type thing. I think now when you hear Peter Weller talking about it, he's like, he's like, I watched it recently and he's like, I, I can't believe, I can't believe how good this film is. Like mm. everyone, everyone naturally gets drawn to the action and the, and the violence and the gore. Peter Weller's, Peter Weller's like, this is some of the best storytelling. It's a tragedy. It's about resurrection. It's about the true meaning of being a man. Identity theft. It's, 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 you know, even him talking about it now, it's just like I, I can't believe he achieved that. I, th- uh, I think as well with Peter with Peter Weller, there's an element of like he then. I think he went on to play villains after that, didn't he? A few times. I think there's the he was the hero. You know, he was the he, he was very much the hero in the film. I think there's a there's a sort of a, and I do think there's an element of these actors then look back at what they've done before and realise that the, it's got such a cultural impact. Yeah. As well, so they become more affectionate towards that piece of work. You see it with you see it with a lot of sci-fi. Uh, well, I think I think Peter Weller. I mean, Peter Weller at the time was probably like. I mean, he's, he's, I suppose he still references it now to say that was that was some of the worst months of his life. Yeah, like he said that the suit alone was so uncomfortable and the sort of lengths they, they wanted him to go to for it, it was just a gruelling shoot for him that I think he had bad feelings towards that film for years. Like the first time, I think he says, the first time that they got him in the suit took 11 hours, but so then he would then have to go and shoot. So by the time that the the time that the crew would come in to do the scene, he had already been sitting in this trailer for 11 hours getting this suit on and then to be like directed it was roasting hot he couldn't move in it um 
and fair play to Paul Verone, he 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 does acknowledge now that it's like the way I treated Peter Weller at the time was was abhorrent. He was right and I was wrong. Um, but he was under just so much restraint. I think Orion uh, came down to the set twice and was basically just like, you just need to hurry up, you just need to get this film finished. So there was just constant pressure. Um, but the thing about the suit was, it was like, Peter Weller was like, you want me to do this? I, I literally cannot move. So then they had to they had to suspend shooting. I think he got two weeks to do the to more mime um, in terms of how to move in the suit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's really interesting stuff. Um, <clears throat> right. Do you know, I have to say, by the way, I think this may be one of the quintessential Robocop podcasts. I genuinely feel that way. Like, I don't think I don't think there's many people that have dissected the film to this degree for uh, this uh, length of time. Do you know what, Fran? I probably agree because I, I went to try and find it and I, and I struggled to find uh, as, as in-depth a review. I think there's only a couple out there that I, I listened to, but um, yeah. Okay. Um, right, so is there anything else you guys want to discuss before we get to the ratings for this film? I think we've done this pretty solidly. Going start to finish yeah. through a film and going through the various aspects of it like that, it's actually quite a nice way of doing it. Actually, It's a different way of doing it, because usually we go, right, what was the plot? Then what was the theme? Then what was the characters? Then what were the villains? So yeah. it's been a nice way of doing it, interesting way. Yeah, okay. So we'll go to ratings then. Scott, might as well start with you. What would you give this film? Out of five? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. No, it's definitely five, five out of five for me. I think at the time... It was one of my favourites. It's still one of my favourites. It, it has um, a deeper meaning now, uh, which means I can I can I can enjoy it more if 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 that's even. But if I, I didn't think that was even possible, um, thoroughly recommend it. One of the best films I think that you're in terms of filmmaking and story um, and character ups. I, 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 you struggle to get better than than Robocop. Yep. Fran? I'm going to back that one up. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. I think it's one of the rare, almost about as perfect as a film can get films. You've got your sort of, your first Star Wars film um, as the one I always go to when I look at something that that is like Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Do you know what I mean? Those kinds of, like, keeping it into the sci-fi sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I would say that it's, it's the sort of film that should be put on nowadays on repeat about 50 times for all the writers rooms out there that do tv and movies nowadays to say this is how you write a film this is how you shoot a film this is how you keep pace this is how you keep drive this is how you do exposition this is how you write character arcs this is how you don't talk down to the audience Mm. all of the things that i am unhappy about with modern cinema do not exist in this film it's a it's a film that has humor. It has charm. It has uh, messages that are buried between the written between the lines, just as they should be. And I think it, it's yeah. I I any any flaws that are, that are there are simply there because of when it was made, not because of the the effort and the skill of the people involved. So five yeah. out of five for me. Okay, okay, Gordon. Yeah, I think. Um... It definitely stands out in amongst uh, a decade in the 1980s of some very solid action movies. I'd say it's very solid. I think, um, like I said, I like how it makes me unsettled. Is a strong um, original Death Wish, Charles Bronson films. The whole thing of like, a, not a vigilante this time, but somebody to 
really take out the 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 dregs of society that we don't want to have to face up to. It's that um that that's one thing we maybe didn't touch upon so much. There's a real bleakness about the film, especially when you see that the anarchy going on when there's the police strike and um you feel like if I was living there, I feel like defenseless. Just the the criminals are taking over the town. Um, so I like how it makes me feel unsettled. Um, the fast pace works really well. It's tense when it needs to be. Um, the music's great. The final act really holds up. I think um, there's a nice twist. I, I mean, we've not said too much maybe about Peter Weller in terms of an actor. I, I mean, I, I really like him. I think. I think he has a naturally deep voice, which it isn't as if his voice was computer generated for the film. That's the way Peter Weller yeah. talks, and it's he even yeah, I think um, he and he's that sort of face, that joy. I mean, Steve, me and you talked um, just socially recently about how I, I feel like Michael Keaton's Batman. You see his jaw underneath that mask, and it's like he's Batman. It's there's something about the, to me, the sort of, <laughs> the look of him, just his jaw and that mask. I get the same sort of thing with Peter Weller's Robocop. Um, and well, it's, it's funny you should say that, Gordon, because one of the things that Paul Verone, when he, when Peter Weller obviously auditioned, he, he said, you've got a, you've got a, a brilliant jaw. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't about, because obviously the, the majority of this film, um, certainly for the, the, the whole kind of second act, I suppose, you're just seeing his 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 jaw, um, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not nothing's um, nothing's been like staged to make him some. That's Peter Weller naturally yeah. talking. Uh, Peter, and it's funny because I also and kind of the opposite of what I said earlier. Peter Weller um, is maybe he's maybe better playing a villain. Like I saw him as a, a very strong villain in Twenty Four, mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just. That's why I believe it would be hard for me to watch Robocop 3 not having him as the lead. Um, so, like, I, yeah, so in, in somebody like to um, Peter Weller himself, because he's not, I don't I don't think he was much of a uh, an acting lead in the 1980s from what I've saw, but even like, and I'll tell you something else, because it's good to point out what we think is our like best and worst moments in a film. Do you know, do you want to know what my, I think is my favourite moment of the whole film? And it might, it might sound a bit unusual, the you touched upon Scott the spinning the gun the Wild West thing mm-hmm. unleashing the gun like spinning it putting it back in its holster it's the bit before before uh, Murphy is uh, gunned down um, but when he's still when he's still a, a like a full on an ordinary cop it's it's when he I think um, Nancy Allen's character asks him why he's doing that and he's just like oh just my kids saw me doing it again influenced by these Wild West films. Um, I just thought it's a cool thing to and how he's actually practicing it out on duty. I just yeah. thought there's something that really endearing about it. It's not done in a really cheap, uh, tacky way. Um, here's a here's a nod to these great uh, gunslinger films. It's like it's done in such a fun and it's like breaking the fourth wall, kind of in a way is that you know we're actually linking it to real life films. It's acknowledging there's films and there's something about that I really like. And obviously, I like the there's kind of a foreshadowing it comes back, but. Yeah, I think Peter Weller deserves a lot of credit. Um, yeah, I'd agree. It's, it's heartbreaking because it, it, it shows you him having that interaction. It's so innocent. It's just, oh, my kid, so my, every every dad should be a role model type thing to their boy. That too, um, yeah. You know, and then obviously you have that that scene where he kind of, he, he remembers it. Like, oh, can you do that, dad? So 
he's obviously seen that his boy sees that, you know, TJ Laser holds him in that kind of high regard, oh, that's good. And, and Murphy's out just practicing it. Like, oh, yeah. I, I'd like to be able to do that because my boy likes it. So it'd be cool if I come in and twirl my gun. You know, it's, yeah. it, but it's, it's just heartbreaking at the fact that you, you kind of think back that this guy's just been murdered, but he's been murdered yeah. by OCP. Because it's the father-son link as well. That's oh, yeah. why, why I just find it a lovely moment. Um, overall, Robocop is, uh, I would say it's a four out of five. I think um, the, the, it does feel in some ways it can be a bit formulaic action movie. I think I don't think it did anything too groundbreaking. There is some sort of pioneering touches to it, but um, I think maybe just, again, because of the year it was made, by 87 there was a lot of... There was a, there was a lot of things that influenced this. So Terminator was done, um, you know, things like Blade Runner, the sci-fi aspect, and a lot of action movies before that. So it's you can't really blame it too much for being. Just personally, I feel sometimes a bit formulaic. Not nothing too groundbreaking. I think um, I didn't I didn't like the moments of stop motion animation because, as I said earlier on, I feel that they were able to do. You know, like if you look at Jaws, like a. Um, like you use using a the mechanical shark and make it look realistic. You've got the realistic, um, well not realistic, but sort of the believable puppetry that in Return of the Jedi, for example, or Empire Strikes Back, it doesn't look particularly fake. But but um if the budget is what it is, though, if they had to do the stop motion stuff because of the budget, then that's the way it is. Um but I just thought that um didn't look great even in nineteen eighty seven. And I guess um I did already touch upon like uh, I thought I thought, although I enjoyed like Kurtwood Smith as the villain, um, like Ray Wise is one of the the other guys. I, they weren't quite as threatening as they could have been. Um, so that, but is I mean, they're quite small things. It's not a film that I can look back on heavily criticise. And Steve, um, I'm also going to go a four out of five. This, um, I'm really glad I got to watch this because it's I can't think of another film I have watched that is so perfectly efficient there literally isn't a single word or scene in this film that is wasted or overdone or there's no kind of directorial wankery if you like there's no no point where anyone's kind of showing off everything is exactly as it should be and it's just bang bang perfect i think the only detractions as i think are meant that have been mentioned are the the, the 1980s limitations so this stop motion kind of takes you out of it at a few points that kind of makes you sit and go, hang on that. It, it kind of t- it takes you out of the film slightly and some of the, the graphics and stuff like that. Again, there's limitations of the 1980s. There wasn't a lot that could be done, but it does take you out of it slightly. The Some of the, coming down to the acting, some of the death scenes I felt were a bit ham. I can see how there is a comedic element to it, but every, the only thing that was maybe a little overdone was each character that died. There was no sort of, there were very few sudden deaths. There was a lot of, ah, uh, oh, ah, uh, oh, ah, uh, oh, no. I'm that kind of, and you kind of just think, oh, just get on with it and die, will you? That was, um... uh, yeah. I would add, though, Steve, to talking about the villain's deaths. I think um, I did, to to commend the film further, I would say I felt at the end it tied things up quite well. I mean, I talked about, you guys have already got the ball rolling in Bond, so I'll give a, a quick Bond mention. But I think when we talked about No Time to Die, I said, for example, it doesn't tie up like the previous few films. I thought... Robocop was tied up very nicely. Oh, it's it comes together. Yeah, it comes together beautifully. And as you were talking about the ending, you know, they they could have had um, Robocop in the boardroom saying, I 
a Murphy and then having him, you know, walk into the sunset with big dramatic music, but they didn't. They just cut it there mm. as if to go, right, bang, that's it. And, I think and it's just yeah. completely, they, so, they, they open it as they close it. To me, I think a modern film would feel the need to, to cut to a scene where Robocop, sorry, Murphy, um, it goes to the hospital and Lewis is, is, is recovered. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Or, or, or you get the closure on, oh, is Lewis okay? It, no. Murphy literally just says, no, they'll fix you. You're all right. We don't see, we don't see Lewis again. The Which last time... ties in, I think, with the lack of empathy throughout the whole film. It's kind of, you almost, yeah. you're kind of not meant to care. It's like, right, bugger it. I mean, she suffers from she, horrific she, wounds. Like, she doesn't look as if she can survive she's, that. She's like, not, the blood loss yeah. alone, the shock. <laughs> yeah. Paul, uh, on your point, Steve, about the... the Pulverone did specifically um it, it was deliberate to to hang on the deaths because he he, he kind of says in the, the sort of commentary um a lot of films you see you see people dying and it just cuts away but you actually don't he 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 made a point of and it's and it's a theme in his films where right. it's like he, he he wants to kind of like somebody dies he wants to kind of stay on that shot for a couple of seconds to show them either dying or dead then he wanted- on you want to feel that death aye, almost. Aye. It's not just a, a kind of okay. If it's if it's a, an actual decision, then yeah, that's cool. That's fair enough. It's yeah. it kind of it almost jars slightly, I think, with the rest of the film being so quick. I know you sort mean. of fast yeah, paced. Hundred percent. Aye. Um, when you linger on shots like that, so there's definitely a contrast there. But it's I, I see where I kind of see where he's going with that. Yeah. But I mean, overall, it's a pretty much perfect. 90 minute film is as a, as Fran was alluding to, it's exactly what should be shown to cinemakers today, and be told, listen, this is how you do a film. It's mm. pretty much sort of flawless in that in a, as a filmmaking aspect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For me, I would give it the five. Um, but I, I can recognise within that that the uh, stop motion has aged poorly, charmingly, yes, but it's still poorly. Like, um, you know, and some of the points you made as well. Uh, you know, slight hammy acting here and there. Um, some of it is a little inelegant with some of the cuts, but in general, the fast-paced uh, sort of storytelling of this film is I is something I really warmed to straight away when I realised what it was doing, and I was like, "Wow, this film doesn't feel the need to to sort of explain everything, and it's just moving at a nice, a lovely pace, and I'm I'm still with it, and I'm fully engaged and." the storytelling techniques of just using little fillers um you know to give you the world building aspect and give you this sense of what is going on and in 1987 detroit or sorry futuristic i suppose it was actually the future wasn't it um so i i just i love that i like the feeling of a sense of place in a film like i could imagine uh you know another tv series or something within that and i can imagine the the world and and, and how things have I've gotten worse and all that and the look and design of robocop they nail it all um you know even to the thing little things like the actual police cars i love how i don't know dusty and black they look they there's something like worn about them like you know it's just the little touches the nail the, the theme song as well is you know uh, i think we did speak about that earlier um and how memorable it is and and it is the kind of thing i did have it stuck in my head after watching it for you know for hours just the kind of the main riff so these kind of things if it lingers with me that's usually why i would go go to the five stars for that and it was a genuine pleasure to revisit this film and brilliant performances i really enjoyed peter weller uh in the role and um 
Nancy Allen as well. I think she was well well cast in what they did with not uh sexualizing her as we as we've spoken about she actually looked like her introduction is fantastic beating yeah. up a bunch of thugs and blowing bubblegum and sort of had this like 80s attitude like this kind of chewed you know like i, I loved it um you really warmed well, for Owen, i think for Owen, that he when he saw her and obviously it was like you know she, she got the part one of the first things he said was not we need to cut your hair. Yeah, they cut it like eight times to get it to yeah, the length that they really No, you're not gonna look like you're not gonna have the perception that everyone's got of you as a as a as an actor. We want to cut your hair and, and you know And and, um, and interestingly, again. normally actresses usually are told to lose weight for a role. They actually told her to put on weight. They wanted to make her a believable police officer and and can able to survive around this kind of machismo environment and mm-hmm. that is kind of interesting like you don't hear that often um from studio executives or whatever telling or the director in this case sort of saying that to her so i like i like things like that but i love i love all the thugs i really like um you know kirkwood smith's villain um you know this kind of uh, there's a playfulness with all of that um, that I really enjoy. They're having fun being absolute sadist murdering people, and somehow, somehow, I can I can enjoy that as well as as uh, <laughs> like the, the film's lack of empathy throughout. I also really enjoy. So yeah, we've, we've discussed it all, but um, yeah, it, it gets to five for me for for those reasons. Um, and I, I as I was watching it, I was howling and laughter at the cartoonish violence. Um, because they go, they they know to where the line was, and then they cross it, <laughs> and then that's why it's funny, and it worked for me. Just for see if you ever watch it again, right? See the scene where Robocop bends the gun, and I had I only noticed this when I watched it recently. Have a look at Robocop's, right? Oh, you cut out there, Robocop's what? Uh, Robocop's face, right? Right, so his lower jaw, right? He's he's kind of like growling. His mouth's open and he's showed his teeth, and I had never noticed this before. And I was like, "Wait a minute!" And I kind of skimmed it back a second, and I was like, "At any other time, Robocop is is his closed mouth. He's he's very composed. It's like for some bizarre reason, when he when he bends the gun, he he looks up at the guy and he's like kind of showing his teeth and like growling at him. He doesn't make a noise, but I just kind of thought that's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have covered every single uh, inch of this film. Every uh, moment has probably got at some point mentioned. Every every, every circuitry. Yeah. So no. yeah. Uh, so that that is our RoboCop spoilerific review. Five stars from three of us and four stars from two. That's a well well regarded film. Um, and I think it is a film that you know. I think it obviously made a certain amount, um, quite a lot on its release, but it has kind of that's got a cult following as well in that sense it stayed within you know i think people do regard this as one of the all-time sci-fi classics but that will do us for this episode guys thank you for joining me and we will be back next month for another in-depth review we will talk off air about which film we might want to do but until then thanks bye-bye